What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 189 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, I'm your host. My name is Tim Birkbeck, and I've been procrastinating like fuck this week, so I haven't really got a whole lot done. But hey ho, that is what life is at the moment. Um, I usually kind of like been promoting writing and stuff, but I haven't really even been doing that recently, which I've noticed. But um, I'm trying to get back on the writing wagon. I've done a few bits for Idiotech, if you're a bit familiar with them. I'm sure a lot of people who are into the hardcore world uh, are aware of No Echo. I've done two pieces for them so far, one on the band Stiff Meds and one on the band Regressions. Um, hoping to have another piece up on there soon. Uh, just as I say, I've been procrastinating this week, so haven't done a whole lot on that. But in positive news the world is kind of opening up a little bit more with going outside. The weather's nice. I actually socialised this weekend, got to see a good friend of mine over the weekend, went for a lovely little walk, ate some vegan donuts and some vegan treats, which is always a big thumbs up from me. I'm going to realise I'm already rambling, so we'll get to the meat and veg of it in a minute. But as always, just want to give a shout out to some stuff that I've been listening to this week. The one that is number one on my, it's been on repeat since it came out on Friday, but the new Holding Absence record, uh, The Greatest Mistake of My Life, is just a masterpiece. It's beautiful. Um, the new Arms record, I mean, that band are just nuts, crazy. Like they do just, yeah. They're their own unique beast. Um, their new album, Ultra Pop, is really cool. A new EP from uh, um, Colonial Wound. I couldn't remember what they were called, sorry. Uh, Degradation came out on uh, New Morality Zine, so go check that out. And the fucking phenomenal Suffocate for Fuck's Sake have released a new album. Freye, I think it's pronounced. I don't, I'm really bad with foreign names, but that band are just astronomical so yeah new suffocate for fuck's sake is definitely a high recommendation um before we get into this week's episode as always just want to say thank you to everyone that's kind of supported the the charity sampler so far um i can't remember if i put it out this week last week or not but anyway we put in the first donation to those guys we raised over 100 pounds which i'm so so thankful for um Please continue to support it. Go visit the Bandcamp, um, justininsightpod.bandcamp.com. It's up there for a pound, but any donation that you want to give, all money goes to Heads Above the Waves, um, which is a mental health organisation, non-for-profit, which helps younger people who are struggling with themselves and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, massive shout out to that. I'm going to stop going on and we'll get into this week's guest. So this week I am joined by drummer of Hardcore Punk Sick Ones and host of the Giant Pod, Andy Rintmore. Um, Andy was so, so kind with his time. So this was this is quite a long chat, but it is really cool and really in-depth. Um, we get into talking about how sort of drumming helped him with his ADHD, um, how Sick Ones going over to the US kind of helped them kind of break ground here in the UK. Uh, what's kind of next for Sick Ones is kind of teased there a little bit and we talk a bit a, a little bit about local politics and 
how sort of Andy got into that world as well. So yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Andy, and I'll see you on the other side. Cool. Right. So joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is drummer of hardcore band Sick Ones and host of the Giant Pod, Andy Rintmore. Andy, thank you very much for for joining me. Um, how is everything with you at the moment? Like, obviously, everyone's sort of sitting in the pandemic at the moment, but you've been keeping busy with the pod. But like band wise, like you guys, obviously have had to kind of put a stop to to things. So. Have conversations been going on like what the future looks for sick ones at the moment? Hi Tim, thanks for having me. Firstly, um, yeah, it, it was an interesting one because we really hit it really hard for quite a, mm. quite a number of years, and and the last thing we put out was a single called Agility, and a big part of our promo has always been um, uh, going on Huey's show, the Huey Show on BBC Six Music, because he's kind mm. of always been a champion of us. And when we knew things were getting weird was when he was like, yeah, we're going to play you guys. And then it got to the day we told everyone to tune in. And then he texted me going, I'm really sorry, dude. We've had to pull um, we've had to pull you guys from the playlist because the BBC are getting a bit funny about your name being sick ones and a pandemic oh, bubbling up. And we were like, oh, what the fuck? Can I swear on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, of course. Sweet. Right. Oh, thank God. Adult time. Um <laughs> And we were like, what the fuck? But obviously we really like, you know, we really like Huey and that. And um, uh, so we didn't really, um, we didn't re- really push that too far. But we, we eventually got on there. But that was when we knew things were going to get weird. And even though Sick Ones is named after a like 80s skate culture stuff, that it yeah, was yeah. so strange that the BBC were like, we can't play this. And for a while we had this whole band by the BBC thing going on and it was kind of like edgy and cool. But like... That's the thing, I didn't, I couldn't even like... That didn't even enter my mind that that would be an issue. Yeah, mine neither. That's, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so eventually we got on there once things had become a bit more normalised. But we started seeing other things in the playlists, like um, stuff about fever and things like that. And we were just like, oh, okay, all right, what's going on here then? Are we Have we been shadow banned? But no, um, <laughs> it, it was good. But that was when we knew things were getting weird. And by the time it got on the air, we were all fully locked down anyway. Um mm. Christy uh, is between Bristol and Exeter quite often. Um, so she's kind of been, I don't know, I don't want to make it sound like she's been um, f- uh, bending the rules in lockdown, doing her Cummings, but she's sort of throughout the various lockdowns in between, she's kind of like been between Exeter and Bristol for various periods of mm. time. Um, and uh, George, he lives in Bristol as well. And he was locked down. Um, he was quarantining at the beginning of the, uh, of the pandemic because everyone in his mm. house got ill. And that oh, was like shit. right at the beginning as well. And it was like still kind of like no one really knew what this thing was. And it was like, obviously, it's still very serious, but we it, it's normalized a little more now, isn't it? We, yeah, we, I think like everyone's kind of got used to it and yeah. made their own sort of path in it and shit. But it was still very much this sort of unknown, invisible boogeyman Um <laughs> at that time but so yeah basically to to answer your question is sick ones has basically not done anything for a year um other than sort of push that single a little bit um we did have a rehearsal um and we had a few other song ideas in the bag but just with the way that things kept opening up locking down uh it just became kind of impossible to keep any form of sort of like momentum so Mm. 
you know, and, and, and during that time, I become the, the I became the deputy mayor of Froome. I launched the uh, uh, the Giant Pod podcast in um, September or October last mm. year. Um, there's some other stuff that's going on that I can't remember now. But um, so it, it, all our lives have changed a little bit, and, and you know we're doing. I'm getting a new job soon. It's going to be a, a brand new sort of career change as well. And so we're at a point mm. where it's like if we do want to come back and do this thing. There is something. There's a, I'm not going into it because I can't really talk about. It, but there's an offer out there, and um, and it was it's, an, it's a good offer. And if we take it, it's it, cool. it, it's game time. But it's it's also the conversation at this point is kind of like, are we ready to go back in on this 100? percent Because that's what it takes. Yeah. And I love sick. I ones. think that's the conversation like a lot of people are kind of having at the moment is that like for quote unquote bigger bands like yeah that's their bread and butter like they have no choice but like i don't mean this in any sort of disrespect but bands of your kind of level mm. and bands that i'm like friends with that are all that kind of like similar sort of realm it is that sort of step of like do we return to like how we were doing things before or do we now go hell for leather and give us 100 percent, or do we do the opposite and kind of take a back step and sort of survey the the surroundings it's going to be interesting to see like where bands kind of fall when things do return to quote-unquote normal yeah absolutely because the industry uh, who knows what kind of industry we're coming back to now i feel that we're coming Mm. back to an industry that needs it needs us more than it's ever needed us um Mm. in terms of like to you know playing the game being being a sort of a cog in the machine if you will um i feel like bands uh, labels now need bands more than bands need labels at least for a little bit um yeah and it's weird i feel like and the other bands have disappeared who are doing really well and had some dominance maybe they're not going to come back maybe their members of their bands have now um had career changes or um they've went and got a job during the pandemic and actually they decide that they really like the steady income and and having uh their evenings off or whatever and they're not sleeping on <laughs> yeah. floors and shit anymore do you know what i mean um so it's going to be interesting once the dust settles to see what the uh, i I hate to use the word hierarchy, but let's see what the the sort of the the hierarchical structure of what this music industry is like. You know, you've got these hype bands, merch bands, and you've got bands that are like tipped to be the next big thing. And you like some, yeah, yeah. Some I'm not naming any names because I haven't got one in my head. But like, it's like, well, we'll see if like that would have happened for you pre-pandemic, but now we're coming yeah, out. Like, there's going to be bands that are rising that wouldn't have because other bands existed. So it's going to be. It's going to be a very, very interesting reshuffle of the deck, I think. Mm. And I love, like I, I said, think it's sorry, carry on. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, like, I think like there there have been bands here in the UK, but like I've seen it massively in the states, like just like loads of like new bands coming out who have like either taken advantage of like file sharing and stuff, and or like just the fact that they live in like a really close community that in the states that they can get together and record. But they've never played a show before. But because of the internet, there's all this hype around them. And it's just sort of like, they're going to be the next big band, but they've never done anything. And it's just like, that's going to be the new sort of okay, like, way that we go about yeah. finding bands. It's really weird. Yeah, man. I hadn't even thought about that. That There's a there's a band out there that's going to be, that's possibly going to have a some sort of legacy 
that's um, recorded stuff and they've never been in the same room together. And they're yeah. not like, are they it's a band at that nuts. point or are they a collective? Like, where, where, are, the, where are the lines? <laughs> What's going on? Um, but the internet's wild. You hear of like, you know, you get these big artists that are like getting number ones and top tens and all that stuff and they have these features and it's like, oh, wow, what's it like having uh, Beyonce on your track? And it's like, I don't know, never met her. She just phoned it in yeah. and did it in LA and we we hit hit up We Transfer and, and pinged it across. <laughs> and there she is on my track. Do you know what I mean? And now the yeah. world thinks that they're like the best of friends and they've never even fucking met. Yeah. Wild it's world. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, we'll get to sort of like the crux of, of why I've asked you on the on the show. And like, I always take my guests back to kind of their roots and like what got them started in music. So what was your kind of like first exposure to alternative music? Like what kind of got the, the wheels in the cog going? Um, That's a really good question. And I sometimes think about, because I've got ADHD, I wonder if if I was always sort of predisposed to this very sort of loud, intense, um, often fast music, because it does seem to, mm. the, the chaos of it all and the cacophonous, the cacophony of things um, <laughs> do tend to kind of make sense in, in my brain. Um, it is a good question. It was probably, it, I think some of it was that um, when I was in school, I had a huge, huge, huge crush on this girl that was really into alternative stuff. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just kind of go like, oh yeah, I like that band as well. And then you're like, <laughs> I must listen. <laughs> yeah. to, I must listen to Nirvana. I must listen to Green Day. <laughs> so it was probably a little bit of that. But to be honest with you, I think it, without that, without that little push, you know, that adolescent push, I probably would have found that sort of thing anyway. Because it just, mm. it just makes. I don't know. I just feel it on so many. Like, it sounds so like weird and pretentious, but I just, I just makes. I just feel like it's part of me, like it's in me, like it's always been, uh, like I've always been going to have been predisposed to just loving rock and roll, basically. Yeah. So were there any kind of like specific bands that you can remember, like you've mentioned sort of like Nirvana and Green Day there, but was there any specific bands that you remember like off your own back that you were like, oh, this is interesting, this is Pete's yeah. my interest, I'm going to dig a little bit further into this. Yeah, so some of my... my my earliest musical obsession was Robson and Jerome's cover of Up on the Roof, which is, you know, Robson <laughs> okay. Green from Extreme Fishing and Jerome who plays... Um, <laughs> who does he play in uh, Game of Thrones now? He's gone on and had quite a good career oh, as a mate, series I actor. Ne- I never got into Game of Thrones, uh, so you're asking the wrong uh, person. I think it's like Bron the Black or something like that. He's the... Uh, anyway, um, that was the first thing I remember as a child of being like, put it on again, put it on again. <laughs> <laughs> Mum, put it on again, and I don't know why it's so strange. But and that and the Ghostbusters theme tune as well. Put, put a little <laughs> nice. rucksack on my back, stick stick a uh, a Hoover hose in the back, and sort of start march around my room and get Mum to come in and sort of rewind the cassette tape every time. <laughs> I want it back on. I want it back on. Um, so, I, but in terms of heavy music, I, I think Linkin Park were like a big. Nice. You know, I often say that I think hybrid theory was like the, you know, is hybrid theory the never mind of, of my generation? Um, yeah, yeah uh, that's fair. Yeah, and I think some people would say no because they'd be thinking purely <laughs> about musical, um, you know, how different they are musically. But mm. I'm thinking culturally, you know, the, the lyrics in, and it's only when you go back to those albums as an adult that you realise there's actually kind of beyond the 
beyond what you think is kind of some sort of teenage whiny like take everything from the inside and throw it all away it's all like this like you're singing along to this stuff you have no idea what it means do you know what I mean you haven't had any suffering well I hadn't had any suffering but yeah I'm still listening to this angsty music like oh yeah I feel it um uh, but it's it, so, when you go back as an adult you realize there's actually quite a lot more substance there than mm. than you give it credit for you know when you look back on it and so I would say that that hybrid theory and Nevermind are very similar in what they did culturally because the th- the themes that they explore lyrically are, are quite similar. And the angst is there. Their their um, dominance in terms of like merchandising and capturing the zeitgeist and stuff is there. They're just this different sounding bands. But I think that spiritually, I would put money on hybrid theory doing for my generation what Nevermind did. Uh, for mm. the other generation. But yeah, I, I remember getting obsessed with Pearl Jam, um, obsessed with Alice in Chains. I was really into all that grungy stuff and no one was really listening to it. Everyone was into like Green Day's American Idiot, people really getting into like the Black Parade and stuff. And I remember just digging the Misfits, digging old old school punk rock mm. and just being, even then, just being on a totally different wavelength to the other kids that thought that they were sort of alternative or were going through, yeah, yeah. they were going through their phase and I was actually like, nah, this is who I am. This is my tribe. This is my my stuff. So I feel like there's a lot of people that who I was hanging out with at the time that were like just going through a teenage angst phase and just getting that surface level um green day chili peppers whatever sort of spoon fed to them and i was sort of diving in a little deeper and then i and i thought oh my god grunge is coming back yeah the 90s is going to come back round and i thought this like 10 years before it actually came back round <laughs> and now everyone you know now everyone's wearing an old school vintage pearl jam t-shirt and everyone wants a, a, a vintage repro um prefab alice in chain shirt and it's like i would i did that 10 years ago i was there like <laughs> yeah. I thought that was cool then. Now you think it's cool. Great. Well, I've been telling you guys for 10 years that this is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that you say about like hybrid theory as well. Cause like thinking back, like I think I'm a little bit older than you, like not by much, but like How old I are remember you? like I'm 31. So. 28. So we're sort of, yeah. but that's enough. That is enough in terms of like, that's enough of a gap in terms of being um in, in in those impressionable ages those are those are huge yeah. huge gaps but like i just remember like you saying kind of like with the nevermind thing so like when i was like younger like it was everyone sort of like wearing the nirvana nevermind hoodies with like the smiley face and things like that but then when linkin park came about it was that shift everyone you couldn't escape hybrid theory it was everywhere like everyone had the hoodies everyone had the record everyone was doodling the little like firefly man like this on the artwork and it it was like thinking back you're right it was like a cultural shift like the the sort of people who were like either a year below me or sort of like my age were getting obsessed with lincoln park at that time and it's just it's strange to look back on and and sort of with hindsight and see the impact it has had yeah they were very much one of those bands that that very they're like what we would call a hot topic band I think. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Even though yeah. we didn't have Hot Topic here, but that's that American. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we did. Maybe we had one, and it was like super expensive somewhere. But like, um, yeah, yeah. They, they and and Meteora as well. Their second album is f- fucking incredible as well. Um, mm. And uh, weirdly, Evanescence, right? 
and, and you know they get written off a bit i think uh, and and rightfully so they're having a resurgence ways. though which is really weird right go to that whatever what's that second album where she's on the front on, on the front cover and she's sort of at the top of this little staircase thing or something oh, i can't maybe, oh, I'm, maybe you're, getting it wrong. you're testing me now with it <laughs> anyway um there's a, a an opening track i think it's their second album fucking amazing mm. so good yeah but when i listen to it i hear that there's a team of producers team of songwriters there's a whole corporate machine behind it and normally that would have sort of turned me off back in the day because i would have felt like it wasn't sincere enough and it wasn't like really like purely rock and roll and but now having gone through the music industry and having studied it in, in college and things like that now i felt like i've got the black parade 10th anniversary edition on cd in the post right because i'm like <laughs> i missed this and this is the you know they played the game and there was a whole sculpting around this and i now i find that element of things really interesting like mm. american idiot is a masterpiece and people may write the punk rockers may have written it off when it first came out because it was just so commercial but just go back to american idiot and take it in as a rock opera thing imagine it's like a broad yeah. a broadway thing which it became um yeah it's phenomenal. It's fun. It's a phenomenal, sophisticated piece of work um, that I appreciate greatly because it's just had it's punk rock, but it's been it's been handled by absolute masters. It's great. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the Black Parade there as well because like I recently revisited that because like I remember at the time because um, the, like the the single was just like so rammed down everyone's throats i was like no yeah. i'm not doing this i'm the same and like and but like i went back to it recently and i and i kind of thought like it's still not my cup of tea but like without that record we don't have a band like creeper today like yeah. and it's just like you can connect those dots to sort of like how they've influenced so many bands that people love today yeah it's just it's not, but yeah. I first saw Creeper opening up for the Misfits in uh, Bristol in um, uh what's the uh, what's the place that doubles up Marble Factory and then there's something else, isn't there? Um, oh, you got me now. Oh, uh, it's like doubles up as a nightclub and uh, something else, Marble Factory. Anyway, somewhere in Bristol, and they were opening yeah. up, and I stood there, and I didn't really like it. I was like, ah, oh, this is just. They just want to be My Chemical Romance. That's what I thought. I was like, this is <laughs> yeah. just a derivative of My Chemical Romance. But but I gave them another chance after that, and I've got to say, since then, there's a few there's a few creeper. I've got an album or two next door in my collection. Um, mm. Yeah, good, very good. It's just like I I tend to like they're good at what they do. They're very good at what they do. They've yeah. picked a thing, and they've got very good at it. And once I've realised that. I have a lot more respect then for an artist. Yeah. But I didn't like, I had a friend, right, shout out Liz Shepard in, <laughs> in, when we were in school, and she was absolutely obsessed with Jared Way, like absolutely obsessed with him. And she was just the biggest MyChem fan ever. And it, it actually pulled me away, like you said, when the single was everywhere. Her like obsession and love for the band really turned me off of them because I was just like, mm. oh, this is too much. Your whole life is about My Chemical Romance. It's almost like Beatlemania. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? She was like one of those Beatlemania <laughs> girls, but for My Chemical Romance, right? And it turned me off for ages and ages. And I was just like, no, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then I heard um, uh, Life on the Murder Scene, that live album. And that, mm. dude, that thing is so raw. Yeah, yeah. It's so raw. And I was like, fuck, this is a rock and roll band. 
Like, they're a real yeah. rock and roll band. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. All right, okay, cool, I get this now. And then, <laughs> and then from there, I was just like, all right, I'm open to it now. I'm, I'm so open to this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, we'll get back to, to your kind of like... <laughs> we went on a bit of a tangent then. Um, so like from kind of like the grungy stuff, like where did you kind of go to discovering the stuff that's maybe a bit more in line with what we hear with kind of like bands like Sick Ones? Where was your path into finding like the more kind of punk and hardcore sort of stuff? Yeah, well, I, th- I think it was the Misfits, you know. I was like, I, I was one of the only kids at school... Oh, I felt like one of the only kids at school that was into like alternative music and stuff like that. And so when you're that age, people want to form bands at school and they just kind of get whoever's mm. into that music, whether or not you're any good or you can play, whatever. Yeah, yeah. They just get, hey, do you want to join a band? And you go, oh, I like bands. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. So I got asked to do be the singer, and I'm quote air quoting right now, to be the singer um, for whatever this, it didn't even have a name. It was just a big clusterfuck of like... <laughs> noisy rehearsals and hanging out and whatever and and um and so it was that was kind of like the people in that band were the kind of guys that were like showing me stuff so it was like oh we want to sound like this we want to sound like that we sound like misfits blah blah blah. and so from there it was like kind of oh i've got to get on board with this stuff if i want to be any good here and i was i was Mm. in army cadets at the time and um what I did in Army Cadets, we had this band called the Silver Bugles, and it was like your your, your typical marching band thing, um, right, yeah, yeah. a bit like what well, like what you see in the states, where like Travis Barker came from that kind of background in that you know that um, traditional grip, um, yeah, uh, uh, snare drumming and like military style, and that we did that we did a really sick cover of the Exorcist. Actually, I wish there was a recording of it, but it was like pre cool. pre camera phones, so no one's really got any. Yeah. No one's really yeah. got anything, but it was fucking sick. And we did all these dr- like stick drills and clicked each other's sticks next to each other and like doubles and twirling and all, all kinds of like mastery stuff. It was great. Anyway, so we didn't have the singer didn't show up. No, the drummer didn't show up. Sorry for this thing. And because we're so young and dumb and naive and everything, I was like, well, I'll just be the drummer. Let's kick him out. He ain't showed up. He's got a dedication there. And uh, so that was it. Then I just started drumming. And then because I could kind of do that, that's when I kind of take it, started taking it a bit more serious. And once you learn a beat, mm. I found that we could start writing stuff. And so from there, it was just like, Andy, you, you know, come and listen to The Misfits. Listen to No Effects. Oh, listen to Rancid. Um, Bad Religion. And I was really got so obsessed with The Misfits. There was a coffin box set of The Misfits that was... Um, in our local record store, Raves from the Graves, shout out Raves from the Graves. And we'd go and look through the window at this box set every day, like after school. And none, none of us could really afford it. And it was like, oh my God, this thing. It was like almost a bit like something you'd see in like a Tenacious D thing or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Kyle, get over here. Look at it. Um, and so it was like that. And it just, we kept doing it. We kept doing it. We kept doing it. And it just became this thing to me. And uh, eventually I lucked out and I got it, I opened it up for Christmas one year. And it was just because it was such a spectacle in its coffin shaped box. There was a little badge in there, a booklet. It was like five discs. It just felt like someone had handed me the vault, like everything they ever did was like, here you go. And I just, I just remember just eating it up, eating it up. And that really informed like what I thought was cool in terms of style and stuff. So I started getting Misfits shirts, I started wearing more black. And just like and then I started getting more like I you know, bands then became 
cultural things as well, rather than just sounding good. It was like, oh, this is like their thing. And, and things become a little cliquey or pigeonholy or whatever. And then you start to figure it out. So yeah, in the long run, you know, the short story for that, that answer is basically, I just was like, given uh, an education by other yeah. people. But I really like classic rock as well. Like the only tattoo I've got is a Black Sabbath thing. And nice. And I love like Thin Lizzy and Rainbow and Deep Purple and all this stuff that's not really like seen as cool because it's not that mm. cool anymore. But I think <laughs> I think it's fucking rad. Um, and so I always loved that stuff. And so I didn't really have any ideas about. I just say like I still say it now. Really, I just love rock and roll. Like everything under yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the envelope of rock and roll, whether it's Deep Purple, Zeppelin, No Effects, it, their dirtiest, most offensive, or whether it's, uh, you know, a hardcore band or um, whatever, you know, as long as it's rock and roll, I kind of, I try not to discriminate. But I've always found myself in these punk things, whereas normally hmm. I feel like there's a part of me that should have been in Pearl Jam-esque bands, <laughs> yeah. or, I should, <laughs> or I should have been in um, Black Sabbath or something, but I seem to find myself time and time again in like punk hardcore bands <laughs> it's always the way isn't it that like the thing you least expect kind of pays off in some aspects but... yeah it's weird like i'd barely listen to any hardcore when we we're in sick ones because we you know you listen to it in the in your own time listen then listen to it in the car then get to it all day and then listen to it all day i barely listen yeah, yeah, to yeah. any I'm kind of catching up in this pandemic on bands that like were in the scene irrelevant that I just didn't bother with mm. because it was like I'm writing this stuff, I'm living this stuff. I don't want everything to be about it. Like I've never been like totally like 100% purist on it. So I've always been listening yeah, yeah. to like I listen to all kinds of stuff. Um I had uh, some um uh what showed up yesterday? What did I get yesterday? Um oh god, Channel Orange uh mm. frank frank ocean is it frank ocean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. channel yeah. yeah um yeah so all this kind of stuff anything other listening to anything other than what i'm writing <laughs> which is Fair just enough. very strange but um and you mentioned there like your kind of like pathway into drums and obviously like sort of going from doing it in like a marching band sort of scenario with the army cadets kind of thing but the, and then actually getting behind a kit so was like, was it kind of necessity or was it something that was always kind of an interest of yours and then circumstance happened that you were like, oh, I can do this kind of thing? Yeah, so this is the weird thing, right? All throughout my life, I'd never played a drum kit and I'd barely even really seen one in, in real life until I like started playing one in school. Mm. Um, but it, I always had this weird mental image of, of them and I think it's because I knew I'd probably never be allowed one when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it always, it always like it was always in my head, like some weird stock image that from an Argos catalog or something of a standard like <laughs> drum kit that was probably like CB drums. It looks like ass. Yeah, my first drum kit yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it was always in there, so I feel like, like I said, with with like rock music and that, maybe I've just been predisposed to it from whenever. And I, with the ADHD, the drumming thing, it just works. It just mm. works out. I know it when I haven't drummed for a while because I start getting a bit tappy and tapping on stuff or I'm feeling a bit more, like, a little bit more crazy or whatever. Like, the drumming was, mm. is a really good um, way of, like, levelling out leveling out yeah. the, the brain chemistry or whatever. So, yeah, something about drums always been drawn to it. I think it's because it takes up so much of your brain. It takes up so much energy. It's very aggressive as well. 
And when you've got that ang- that teenage angsty thing, it's just the perfect like, it's the perfect um, therapy or whatever. I had a, a teacher who um, came into the um, rehearsal room one day at school and he was like, this is a drumming. <laughs> like, this is therapy. And he was trying to have his lunch or whatever and, and like next door and I was just in there like not drumming very well, but, try, you know, just just trying to get good. And um, I, yeah, I mean, I yeah. feel for him in some ways because it was probably terrible. But I've always, I've always hit the <laughs> drums really hard. It's always just been a... It's always just been that's how I do it. They just get splintered and and uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't like seeing drummers. That are t- I like I like it when the jazz drummers are tickling and there's all this like technique and they look like they're just kind of like ooh gliding over the kit and everything's so lovely. But that's great. But just you know, give me Dave Grohl, give me Chuck Biscuits, give me John Bonham, give me the guys that really hit the shit out of that kit. That's what I want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm into and it really works for me somewhere. Um, I'm also a bit of a giant, so I'm six nine. So I've probably got some like Viking, some sort of like conqueror genes in me somewhere. <laughs> so the aggressive side of the drumming is it really sort of appeals to me. It sort of keeps all that sort of stuff at bay as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite interesting you say about like hitting hard and like the jazz drummers because I used to be in like a sort of like mathcore sort of grindcorey band, but our drummer was like. He he loved like jazz, like he he like loved like the heavy stuff as well. But he was like a jazz drummer, but just so happened to be into grindcore. <laughs> so when he was, I love like, that sentence. That's amazing. Yeah. He was a jazz drummer. He just so happened to be into grindcore. <laughs> yeah. But like when he would do like blast beats and stuff, he wouldn't do sort of like how you'd stereotypically like see a like a, a grindcore drummer do it. He'd hold it like in a jazz grip kind of thing. And I always remember, like, we'd play, like, shows with, like, friends and be like, your drummer's insane, but he does it so softly because, obviously, like, as you say, like, that soft jazz touch. And, like, I was just used to it. I was like, that's just what he does. But, like, it's interesting to make that connection and sort of, like, see how other people perceive it, which I think is quite funny. Yeah, and that's the thing with that that really extreme metal is that they're playing so fast that most of them can't... I mean, I think Dave Lombardo's a bit bit of a um a bit different but um i don't listen to an awful lot of stream extreme metal like grindcore and nile and that sort of stuff i did used to watch a bit mm. of nile like drum cams back in the day yeah for those blast beats and think i can i can't do that but um <laughs> but they're, they're playing so fast that I, I find a lot of them aren't particularly hitting that hard because it's all about yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all technique but um but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But I was listening to some Sammy Davis Jr. Like a couple summers ago. And there's a really mm. great Arista Records Greatest Hits compilation. It's uh, it's on Spotify. I mean, he's got a billion compilations on Spotify. But yeah. there's a particular one that I, I really like. And it's got some live stuff. And it's all that big band swing. And I was there's a couple of moments where the drums kind of take the lead a little bit. And I just mm. had to stop and listen. I was like, he's splintering that kit. Like, I was like, this is incredible. This is like pre, pre-rock and roll, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. when it was recorded, maybe, pre, yeah, 50, yeah, pre, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But it was kind of, it was, this is before Chuck Berry or whatever. This music is pre-Chuck Berry, Little Richard rock and roll. And mm. I was like, oh my God, these big band guys are just beating the shit out of their drums. And what he was playing wasn't that that different to hard rock really yeah yeah you know some of the fills and, and stuff 
And just, I don't want to kind of dwell on it too much, but you mentioned sort of like the sort of like ADHD element of like kind of it helping. Yeah, yeah. Like playing drums. Was that something, I don't want to say like somebody put you in front of a drum kit and they were like, this will help. Mm. But like, was there something like when you were playing, you were like, oh, this does help me sort of thing. Was was there a moment of that at all? I, I Yeah. It, like So yeah, it's okay. We can dwell on that or whatever. I'm not like, I'm not sensitive about it or whatever. I kind of feel like my ADHD has given me an edge really over a lot of people because I've got, I got more and I can outwork a lot of people because I've got more energy. <laughs> so when you're on the sofa recovering, eating your crisps, I'm getting shit done. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I'm really not, uh, it does hold me back in many ways, like paperwork and stuff like that. It's just a nightmare when I've got to write the mayor's column. I, I listened to six Alice Cooper albums, um, doing a mayor's column the other day and it's a 400 word, word limit really i mean i can go a bit over yeah, but yeah. it 400 words is nothing right once you get going yeah. it just happens right but six alice cooper albums so that's <laughs> that's that's adhd for you wrapped up really but yeah and it's not like someone put me in front of the kit and said here you go um uh energetic little boy this will this will um soothe you um because actually i felt like the drumming stuff, the kit drumming and the rock and roll dream stuff wasn't really particularly um, a, 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 um, a popular idea amongst uh, mm. sort of, you know, the adults in my life or whatever, my parents and that. They thought it was a pipe dream and things like that. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I had teachers I really looked up to who I thought really believed in me and other things I was doing say, Andy, I don't know why you're doing this. I've had friends who've done this, this and this and they've never done anything. Um and I've done it all now, so so yeah, so take that. But um, <laughs> but but reason, you know, rationally thinking for for many 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 people that decide to do this, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work out, or they don't achieve things that they want to, because it's such a it's such a competitive and difficult world to be in. Um, and I'm I'm just so thankful for the opportunities I've had, but I know that they've come at the the cost of you know sacrifice and time and effort and dedication and stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I don't feel the drums were ever something. I felt I had to really like uh, really stay focused and and be really stubborn about being a drummer because I didn't you know I wasn't allowed one in the house. Well, I did have one in the house for a bit, like a flats kit. But as soon as um when I was a teenager, as soon as my parents heard how loud it could be. That was it. It was done. We would, yeah. we would. It was, you know. So I felt like I had to work really hard on being, actually, just being able to drum. And I, I mm. went to Bath College for four years, just so I could had some had somewhere to drum, so I could try and get good. Because without that, I just wouldn't have done any of the of the the stuff I have done. But yeah, mm. when I'm playing the drums, there's a focus. Um, obviously, it uses energy. It uses stamina you're using various limbs at the same time so it sort of occupies a lot of your brain and so i find yeah. that there can be a calmness when i'm playing um and, and i can often you know play to think about stuff you know some people go and sit and you know pick their guitar and look out whimsically out the window and think about what they need to do and in, in you know their next step yeah. in life or whatever then you know sometimes i think yeah i just need to go and smash the shit out of my drum kit <laughs> for a little bit yeah. um but uh, yeah, it's definitely there's definitely a therapeutic angle to it because it's so aggressive. I feel that, especially for a young man, like you know, I felt that that was really a good channel for for any aggression. I felt if I didn't, if I knew I was going to be like six foot nine, I'd have just gone into wrestling, like like or, or like 
Uh, uh, I'd be in WWE right now or something. But um, <laughs> mate, I would fucking love that. Uh, I still think about it now. I'm like, oh, maybe <laughs> am I too old? It's, not, it's never too late. Can it's my knees take it? But um, it, it's uh, yeah. I just I, the drums were good, and I didn't realise the drums had had been such a saving grace for for years later when I sort of knew myself a bit better. And you just kind of look mm. back on your life a bit, and you go, yeah, they were like. That was like extra medicine on top of the Ritalin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before we get into like bands that you've been in and so forth, the other thing I always like to talk to people about is their kind of local scene. And I know very little about Froome, I've got to admit. So I know that like the people I do know that have come from there have either gone to, as you say, like, Exeter or Bristol is kind of like the places where they went but like growing up like were you going to shows like was there much of anything going on in Froome what was your kind of like the live music side of things Mm. like yeah well Froome had a really good scene um when I was a teenager we had bands like The Operation um who um they went off and uh, were getting sort of like wined and dined by Sony for a little bit out in LA and stuff. Okay. And then the 2008 industry crash came and the guy that was going to sign them actually got made redundant. So that... Oh, shit. <laughs> it's a real shit, that one. Um, and they, they sort of branched off. And from there, you got Ghost of the Avalanche. Um, you got um, Alex went off and did Tax the Heat, who went and signed to Nuclear Blast. Mm. Um, and they've done some cool stuff. Uh, we had All Guns Blazing. She had Tom Pepler in, who um, he was in something called Nemo Sign or something like that. That was a bit before my time, but they did really kind. Of, they did some cool stuff. Um, did a good album on Revelation Records. Um, and Tom is now a sound guy, and he's been doing stuff for Bad Sounds, who have been doing some really cool shit. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Annie Mac is really into them. So it's weird. This whole like little family tree thing in these little offshoots start to to happen um uh more than life were um on the scene when i was just starting to get into going to shows oh shit i didn't realize they were from yeah yeah they're from Froome. um and then we had uh landscapes they were from Froome. yeah um and uh, i'm sure i'm missing things out i'm sure I'm missing a few things out but there was a really good scene and then somehow for some reason it just sort of i don't know it just sort of disappeared um, yeah, yeah and, yeah, and it was kind of getting back there before the pandemic. There was a few kids that were like, um, "There's a there's a band called Stanton PLC. Shout out to them. They were kind of doing a, a sort of quasi Sleaford mods thing. Um, okay, they, they, they were very cool. There was something going on there and um, other bits and bobs. But yeah, Froom scene was like intensely really good and had a lot of talent in it. And there was a lot of people that went off and did some really cool shit. Um, mm. But then the scene sort of disappeared. It's not been like one of those legendary scenes you hear about where it just rolls on through the generations. Um, yeah, yeah. Or like usually they 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 revolve usually around one venue, don't they? Like um, what's that? What's that place in uh, in LA um, that Green Day played and they don't let bands on major labels play? Uh, oh, oh, you got me there. God. <laughs> It's it's uh that was their policy is that they once the band signed to a major label they weren't allowed to go back and play, so it was they kept it grassroots they kept it underground. Oh okay, that's cool. But Green Day have since gone back and and um and played it and did a benefit and saved it and everything. So yeah but, um, yeah. Oh, it's called the uh, 
the something oh, I can't remember now. But yeah, a lot of these <laughs> scenes that you hear about, like surrounding CBGBs or Max's Kansas City or whatever, they all revolve around yeah, yeah. these legendary venues and the various sort of eras that these venues move with, with in the times. Um, yeah, but Froome's scene just sort of dwindled, but uh, hopefully it'll come back at some point. I like to think mm. that Sick Ones um, and Ghost of the Avalanche kind of um, kept the torch for a little while for that. Um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to be so egotistical as to sort of say that we were we were the scene, <laughs> yeah. but we were an active band doing things, and we would play for him. So I like to think we tried to kind of keep it alive in some way. Yeah, yeah. I think like that's the thing with like some like towns and cities in the UK. Like you have like obviously like your staples. Like take London out of the equation. Like you have like your Bristol's, your Manchester's, your Sheffield's, and things like that. But then like other places along the way they kind of have peaks and valleys so like i'm i'm from portsmouth and we're very much similar to Froome. like there was a period where there was probably like shows like every other week and like we had really good like local bands we had touring bands come here but for the last maybe three four years there's just been nothing and it's like that doesn't unless like i'd like to think i'm still quite tapped in but it just doesn't feel like there's anything go apart from like metal but like that's not really my bag yeah but yeah there doesn't really seem to be too much going on here at the moment unfortunately i think my theory on that is that one metal never dies metal just does yeah metal just does metal and it's weird how it's (laughs) it's metal that like you know, for the last 40 years, Metallica have been able to play arenas or stadiums or whatever, um, and Iron Maiden and, and, you know, these big bands, they still just, they just cruise at this, like, top of the game thing forever, right? Yeah. Until they die or whatever. Um, metal is so strange in that metal just sustains metal and everything else, <laughs> yeah. everything else relies on the zeitgeist in a way so i my theory is that you know from the last five years or so a lot of a lot of kids aren't hearing guitar music you know it's not what's Mm. cool and in the charts and everything at the moment there's nothing the people they want to emulate do everything on a macbook air on a on a plane or in the back of a van or whatever or wherever um and so my i'm not going to say the laptop killed rock and roll man that's not what (laughs) that's not what i'm saying but like i feel like you know, rock isn't hasn't been massively relevant. If you think back in the times that I was talking about with the Froome scene, is you know, there was rock was in the charts. The darkness was a thing, and stereophonics were a thing. Muse were a thing, and and there was there was rock on on the radio, and and often, fairly often, not as much as the nineties mm. or maybe the early two thousands, but um rock was around and rock hasn't really been around the last few years like you know um uh what's the most successful um rock song on the chart it's like radioactive by um oh what's that what's that band Uh, who did radioactive radioactive Radioactive. all i can think of is imagine dragons that's it that's it imagine dragons Dragons. i think it's them they were the top of the alternative chart for like I don't know how many weeks with that song, and it's like, is that now what rock and roll is? That, that yeah, you yeah. know, and, and it's changed. And has it changed beyond a point where you know the younger kids now, the other generation now decide? I've always known this. I knew this when I was a teenager. It's like, no, we decide what's cool. 
you know, we make you. We make or break you, adults. You know what I mean? And so I'm in that, you know, I'm 28 now, so I'm in that thing where I don't want to be this guy who's like clinging on to my, um, you know, clinging on to my uh, um, uh, darkness album like, this is is rock and roll. Um, (laughs) You know, you need to listen to Zeppelin. Um, I don't want to be that guy, but things change and they move on. I think we've always thought that rock and roll or rock music is a certain thing and it's changed. And I think Mm. that, you know, um, SoundCloud rappers and trap and different kinds of hip hop and, and all this stuff, which is excellent, is excellent shit. Don't, I'm not putting it down. I like all kinds of music, and I and I try my best to be open to everything. Um, but I think just rock hasn't been relevant the last few years. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder after this pandemic whether it's going to make some sort of uh, a, a comeback because there's something about a rock show that feels very communal. Mm. I don't know. I've not been to many hip hop shows, but I don't know if you get that with other types of music. There's a, a more primal feeling of rock the few sort of hip-hop shows i have gone to they feel like more of an event rather than like as you say like with like rock and roll it feels like you're part of a community and and things like that whereas like like yeah it it feels like i guess the easiest comparison i can make is like when you see like people that download it's like that one thing they do a year <laughs> yeah like that's kind of what a hip-hop fe- like show feels like it's like their one big gig kind of thing whereas as you say like even if it's like a big rock and roll band like everyone's there because they have a love for that thing and you kind of feel part of like a fan club or a community or something like that so yeah there's definitely a different sort of vibe to it and as you say it'll be interesting to see if like once the pandemic's kind of over, if there is like a new wave of, of that that comes about, like I'd like to hope so, but I just don't know where it's going to come from. Yeah, I'd like to think that, you know, there's going to be a new clash and that we're all going to yeah, be yeah. like, yeah, yes, yeah, we need this. This is what we need because we're all angsty and we're in a economic downturn or whatever and we haven't seen our mates for a year and a half or whatever it will be at that point i'm just wondering if if rock music it will be the soundtrack to the world sort of putting itself back together again mm. because there's going to be there's going to i don't want to be a neggy nigel here but there's going to be a lot of <laughs> there's going to be a lot of pain there's gonna you know yeah i hate that the suffering isn't over yet like it's it, it's gonna <laughs> hard times are coming still for 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 yeah, a lot yeah. of, for everyone, I think this this thing has touched everyone, other than just Jeff Bezos. It's just touched his wallet, <laughs> just touching his back pocket up, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so I wonder. I'm hoping that rock, rock and roll, or punk rock becomes the the soundtrack to this new world, whatever we've got the new mm. normal to be, or whatever. But it'll probably, if it does, it'll be in the form that I'm not expecting. It won't sound like the Clash or Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be that little Nas X guy doing his uh Satan worship shit. And I mean <laughs> that's punk yeah. rock, man. That's punk rock. <laughs> it's very punk rock. Um so in terms of you kind of like you said like when you were in school and stuff like that first band kind of going behind the drums through necessity because this drummer didn't turn up sort of thing but Mm. i guess what was the first like quote unquote proper band that you were part of like that you consider your first band yeah that was that was a band we called ourselves scream 92 because the singer really loved blink 182 
Nice. <laughs> 182. Blink 182. Sorry, what a heathen. Um, <laughs> Philistine. Um, yeah, so, in, in, you know, and we really loved, like I said, we really loved the Misfits. They had that song Scream, so I guess it probably came from that. And then we, we, mm. we were born in 92, so we put 92 on it. I remember cutting out this, like, poison pen shit as our logo because at the time we were still... We had no idea, like, it was so pure in that, like, mm. like I said, like, I thought everything... I thought Led Zeppelin and the Pistols were the same rock and roll, but then they're not. Yeah, yeah. But I thought that they were just this part part of this this universe where it was just all the same thing. And I guess what I was picking up on is that rebellious attitude, that, like, fucking two fingers up to everything you know as that was what the the what unified the whole the whole rock and roll spectrum i guess but um yeah so we we made the poison pen sort of logo and i remember photoshopping a fucking mohawk on a bold eagle or whatever it is those those like that american (laughs) eagle thing it's just sort of this this strange mix of like different cultural things we didn't really know what we what we were doing and we had like songs called like love doctor hates me and it was all like really like weird there's a love doctor yeah. he hates me <laughs> and he's sort of singing with this like faux cockney accent because we were just listening we were listening to a lot of like the pistols and um x-ray specs was sort of in the mix a little bit and and the clash and mm. you, you heard that song by jilted john you heard that one I've been going out with name. a girl. Her name is Julie. It's just all this cockney. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's all this cockney shit going on. Cockney rebel, cockney reject, whatever. And so we had this sort of like British snotty punk thing going on. Oh, and of course Gallows as well. They were massive. Yeah, massive deal for us back then. And that was all like very like Watford and London and that. So it had that kind of vibe to it. The bassist, we we never really told him that his bass amp was on or off because he could <laughs> he couldn't play it. Most of the time it was off. We just let him it almost like we just let him hang out because we liked him, but we knew he had no future at all in learning an instrument in any way. Yeah. Dude could barely tie his shoe. <laughs> um so <laughs> It was really funny. We played for our year group, right? And it, we, and it all went to, to shit. But we managed to convince ourselves that it was really good for about half a day before rea- yeah. reality set in. And we had to be like, actually, that was a really embarrassing train wreck. Yeah. But it was important, I think, because, yeah, because you, you've got to put yourself out there and take the risk, haven't you? And it all fell apart because I didn't know structure. I didn't know for, what four or eight beats felt like. I just hit like boom, yeah. boom, 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 four on the floor and just did a four, did a four, four over everything. And I would just look at Ross who was playing the guitar and, and singing and, and he would nod and I would nod and then we'd switch to the next bit. And it was just like <laughs> every version of the song was different. You know, it was like this is the Grateful Dead. You didn't know what was, <laughs> it was like some exploration, but it wasn't. It was just us trying to, like get out of this weird loop where I didn't know how to move on to the next part of the song. But yeah, we played this year group thing and the guy that was playing the bass, Tom put this balaclava on and didn't even have his <laughs> it didn't, yeah, didn't even have his bass guitar on. And then after it, one of the teachers like there was like this weird little panel thing on it and they had to discuss, you know, what the what you'd done. Almost like a bit of a talent show vibe, but not Yeah, yeah. And then one of them said, Yeah, I'm just getting flashbacks to the IRA. <laughs> oh no. And we were like, yeah, yeah, so punk rock. That knew nothing about it. Probably triggered them. Oh, we didn't dear. know. Yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) So then from there, like, what was the kind of like journey into sort of like, I guess, taking it a bit more seriously? Like, what was the first band that you were doing that was playing maybe a bit more shows, a bit more out of town shows, even touring? What was that? So, yeah, that was when when we finished school. my my mate uh, Ross, who was the front man of the first band, um, he said, "Oh, I'm going to Bath to um, I'm going to apply for college to go to college, Bath College. Do you want to come with me?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, school's over. I don't know what I'm doing with my life now. Yeah, whatever. I'll come with you just to to accompany him, basically, on this day yeah. out." And we got there, and I sat down with him, and there was this guy there called Max Whedon who was just like. He ended up being quite an influential sort of like lecturer for me. Um, but he was like, hey, man, what do you do? He's so full of energy, just so like on it. Almost almost a bit mm. like he'd done like six lines of cocaine before the, you know, the thing. Not, not, I'm not saying he did. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But he had that that energy to him where it was like, hey, man, what are you doing? Uh, I'm doing yeah. Hey, do you want to sign that? Yeah, let's do it, man. It was like very much like, do it, do it, do it. Do it. And he'd be a great salesman. Yeah, you need new windows, do it. Yeah, sign here, we get you some double glazing. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, so he manages to just get me to sign up. So I, I end up coming home and I'm like, oh, I've just signed up to go to college. I didn't really know what it meant. I just kind of, it just an yeah, accident. Yeah. I was caught in the gravity of Ross's application. And somehow one of mine went in as well. And and so after that, we we, we were uh, studying music and that meant we got to play for, for hours a day and keep doing what we were doing in school after school and uh, really just hit it really hard. And so we formed this thing called Rejected Faith. And at the time... Mm. Um, we were listening to quite a bit of that early Bring Me the Horizon. The Screamo stuff was coming in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we were in that. They were in that realm of like what we were doing was basically like hard. It was like hardcore punk, but like there's a metalcore aspect to it. There's a bit of the kill switch engaged thing going on. Um, right. And I'd got quite quite a lot better at drumming um, quite quickly once we joined college. I can't really chart the skill like rising or whatever but it felt like as soon as i got into that atmosphere where it was all musicians all creativity just music all day every day all this different Mm. stuff i just felt myself as a musician just growing quite rapidly um yeah i'm not saying i was like absolutely incredible like mike portnoy or something but compared to what i was when i started if i look back on some footage now that's on like an old myspace page or something from moles club i always like think oh my god we were a lot better than i always give us credit for like this there was something <laughs> yeah. going on there um so we put out an ep and it was so funny i remember like we we i bought like i did all the the artwork myself on paint and it was just a fucking upside down cross with rejected faith on it, and the cross was like, it wasn't centered cro- correctly. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so it was just this tacky, tacky ass um, font said rejected faith, and it, and I'd underscored it in paint or whatever I was doing it on Word or some shit, and then and then an off center, um, un- you know, not very symmetrical upside down black cross, and we called that EP. Um, it was a Misfits lyric as well. We called that EP. What did we call it? Drench your visions in darkness. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I remember I made the mistake of like I should have just bought the little plastic wallets to put the CDs in that I'd burnt off. 
um, yeah, yeah. To, to like give out and I didn't and I had them in all these little plastic little little thin jewel cases and we got up oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we played a show at the Cheese and Grain in Froome which is quite a big venue and it's quite a big stage and it was almost like when we were asked to play that it was like oh we've not arrived but it felt like a oh we've got to a, a point a point now where people know what we're doing and they you know they're taking us seriously as musicians because this venue i thought the venue was in the town the gold standard venues and it still is really yeah. in room um and so it was a big deal and so i we did this thing where me and the singer would switch and we'd do a misfits cover we had two misfits covers in the set because why not and i'd get out and sing skulls i think and i remember getting out there and i had this big pile of these CDs on the side of the stage. And this is why I should have had them in the wallets because I grabbed them and I started throwing them out into the audience. <laughs> but everyone, of course, everyone's like ducking in like, because I'm, I'm like, I'm frisbeeing jewel cases at their fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, so full of adrenaline. Do you know what I mean? There's a big crowd and everything. And it's the first thing. And I'm just like, like uh, those ninja star things, those you know, yeah. the, people's fucking heads. And then once, and then when everyone had left, I remember I was like looking at the floor, and there was just EPs everywhere. And I'd spent, oh. I'd spent hours <laughs> putting them together. And I remember going around and picking some of them up, and like putting them back together again. And then later on, giving them out, like out again. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> And then we did uh, we did some like Boomtown Festival, not Boomtown, did Boom Festival or something in Bath. And some people actually mm. bought EPs. That was the first time anyone had ever paid for our music after we played a set. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh shit, this is great. We got like 30 quid together. And then we went and spent it on burgers. <laughs> Amateur hour, man. No reinvestment. <laughs> no, clearly not. Mm. So then like... From there, like, when what was your kind of first entry point into like going on tour and sort of, I guess, exploring outside of like the southwest sort of thing? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. I mean, after that, I joined a, a band called Strychnine Poisoning, which was a bit more like I was saying to you earlier about it was a bit more, it was like sleazy rock, it had a bit of like mm. cock rock vibe, it was all like leather, um, jackets, and like too cool for school and it wasn't punk and it was like riff based you know blues rock based yeah. stuff and we did a fair bit of like local shows and things like that but i wouldn't say we ever toured we were very busy doing lots of basically just getting lots of experience um we got started to get a little following going um and then it all sort of fell apart as these young bands do but um, mm. I remember being really heartbroken when that broke up because they were like my gang, and but that was yeah, the yeah. only thing we had really in common was that 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 was the glue was that we were this thing, and as soon as that thing was gone, I didn't feel that connection to them anymore. That was like one yeah, of my yeah, first yeah. like sort of like um, brushes with like real heartbreak. I was like, oh, I've lost my boys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lost the boys. Just want the boy, feel like shit. Just want the band back. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I remember talking to this lady called Ginny Saunders, who used to be um, Nirvana's PR agent and all these other things. She was one of our teachers. And she was sort of like, you'll be fine. You'll do some other stuff. You know, you're young. But it was the end of the world to me at the time. Yeah, it, yeah. It wasn't until, um, it wasn't until Sick Ones that, that really things took on a focused, professional um, edge. 
and that was that's mm. the sick one the short answer to your question is sick ones was really when it became okay are we taking this seriously yes we are um and uh it's time to use everything i'd learned in college and everything i'd learned from the past um and put it into action in a polished brand new or trying to be a polished brand new venture basically it was just the amalgamation yeah. and that's how it goes isn't it you know these bands that you see or that you really enjoy they're not they're very rarely the first the first musical endeavor these people have ever done it's the culmination of experience isn't it coming together mm. um so sick ones basically was the first yeah. i'd never really gone anywhere in the world either until sick ones and that you mm. know now i've seen a lot of the uk i've been down up and down the east coast of the states i've been out into europe a few times now and just like my whole world like opened up because I never mm. went to these places on holiday or anything because I was just like, nah, I'm just going to go there when I tour them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I didn't really know much about the world, really. I hadn't really been anywhere. I felt, looking back on it, it was kind of a bit sheltered, really, mm. until I got out there. So look, as we're here, we'll start to dig into sort of sick ones a bit more. And, like, I always find it interesting, like, what the early sort of iterations of, of a band is. And because, like... Obviously, you mentioned when we started this conversation last year, you obviously released the single Agility, which is it's not a leap from where you started, but like there are new elements to your sound. Mm. But like baseline, you've always been kind of like a punk hardcore band. So when you were having those conversations of starting the band, was that the direction that you guys wanted to lean or did it kind of come about that? Yeah, well, that's it's interesting because when I started jamming with with Charlie, um, it was two years of me and him in his attic jamming two mm. t- twice a week for two years without doing anything. Didn't record. Well, we recorded like jams to the point where we yeah. had this like chemistry, and we still got it now. We got this chemistry where when we're jamming, I know where he's going. He knows where I'm going. And there's record. I don't know if anyone ever hear them, but there's recordings on my phone from during lockdown stuff. We were lucky enough to get access to a theatre where we could, um, we, as long as we made donations to them, because obviously they weren't making any money in the pandemic. Mm. Um, they let us at a social distance, obviously, uh, use the, th- the the stage, and uh, and so we, cool. we developed a new thing. And I, I fell in love with the Grateful Dead a couple of years ago, which they go off on these long explorative jams and then come back to a mm. theme a bit like jazz but just in their own sort of flavor um they don't sound like jazz not not all the time but um it's more like <laughs> yeah. uh, i don't even know how to describe them but anyway i could talk about them for hours so i'm not going to do that but so so there's yeah and you can hear it in these these iphone demos that i've got and it's like funk jams for 20 minutes that go off on all these other things and and, and it seems mm. it's if i not sound too egotistical here it sounds like we've written it but it's right, because yeah, yeah, we yeah. spent two years before we were even in a like in a functioning touring band, just doing that, but like in a really heavy way, just mm. really heavy shit, and it sounded nothing like Sick Ones. And then, and then for some reason, I felt like almost when Sick Ones started, I felt to a degree I was like, oh, but aren't we sort of like dumbing down what we've been doing for two years in a in a strange way? I was like, isn't this now like an easier option than what we've been sort of where we've been going? But of yeah. course, then once you get your teeth into it, we realized that no one at the time was doing this old school brand of, of hardcore punk. 
Mm. No one was doing that sort of black flag thing anymore. And if they were, they were sort of irrelevant dad bands or whatever. You know, it wasn't like there was no yeah, one yeah. who was doing anything sort of current with with any sort of like real um ambition. Um and so yeah, we it, it was weird that in in a in a time where all of that stuff, we felt that what we'd done had already kind of been done in many ways, but for some reason it was it see everyone thought it was so refreshing. Um, against mm. the people that would basically a thrash band, because that's what the hardcore scene is. It's a bunch of thrash bands um, saying they're hardcore and <laughs> and uh, people that just want to be an Alice in Chains. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, so me- then, like- <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get some shit for saying that, but I, <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of the hardcore isn't what it used to be, the Gorilla Biscuit stuff or the Black Flag or... Or, yeah, or minor yeah. threat, you know that sound is kind of rarer now, um, and, mm. and we kind of we kind of did that. We noticed that no one was doing it, and we kind of did it and tried to do our own little flavor and tried to put our own little mad little interesting bits in there and try and make it fun and 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 it, and it worked out for us, I think, in many ways. But yeah, agility. So from from parasite, let's say parasite to agility. It's a big worldly difference, really, because there's mm. this, te- you know, there's a lot of influences that have gone through. There's even U2 in there somewhere. It's, yeah. It, it, and and uh, we were just moving more towards, um, I guess, those bigger um, alt rock bands like Pearl Jam. And we were trying to get this sort of uh, maybe a Dinosaur Junior thing going on in there. Um, and just trying to expand the palette a little into areas where we felt we could maybe start fucking around with putting keys in or like ear candy bits. Like we've always got these really yeah, big yeah. ambitions to make these really sophisticated records, but we never quite have the time sometimes to really <laughs> spend a day putting in like, you know, glockenspiel or something underneath a, <laughs> underneath a particular guitar harmonic or something. <laughs> So in terms of like, I guess, because you've mentioned like Sequence was the first band that you were kind of going out and sort of doing stuff with, mm. like properly. So I don't know, was there a moment for you that you can remember like people outside of my immediate circle of friends, like people in the wider UK are starting to pay attention to my band and like people are starting to give a shit and actually want to come and see us kind of thing. Was was there a moment that you can remember that that happening? Um, yeah, that's a good question because I can't pin it to a sort of a point in time, but I remember mm. when we were doing America, most nights people were singing our shit at us. And I would mm. just remember looking up from behind the kit, you know, trying to breathe, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking, fucking hell, this geezer knows all the lyrics to this yeah yeah but but they knew it in a way that wasn't just like oh i've i've listened to the song before i've come to the show it was like god he means it like it does something Mm. for him so yeah that wider global thing is an interesting one i would like to say that being on bbc6 music um Mm. was a big help because there's an international listenership for that um but yeah it's interesting i guess it's as soon as you go on spotify i guess because yeah. that knows no, there's no borders with Spotify, is there really? I guess there's some because there's going to be a whole lot of world music or foreign language music that I don't get come through my algorithm. So there are borders yeah, yeah. to a degree. 
Um, but um, it, I guess mostly it's as soon as you start going on to Spotify, when we put our videos out, we put them on like Hardcore Worldwide or, or you know, these sort mm. of host uh, video hosting uh, things, that would help as well. Um, we did do a, like I said, with the States thing, we did a split EP with Dive Bomb uh, mm. who are from Ohio. And so that did us some good. Um, and it, but really, it is just about getting out there and doing it. Um, you know, so we 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 met this this band called Blanket Hill. Shout out Blanket Hill. They're from Luxembourg. We met them at Venom Fest that Christie was putting on. Oh, okay. And um, Christie wasn't in the band at that point. We you know it was, we yeah. still had Ben on vocals. So Christie introduced us and said, "Hey, you guys, you know, you should do a European thing or whatever." And we and we were like, we were kind of like stood in that place where it was like, yeah, I doubt that'll happen. But like, we'll, we, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, you're not like that we didn't want to, but we just felt like that was something we really wanted to do. And it's weird when it suddenly gets offered to you. Cause it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, is this too <laughs> yeah. good to be true now? Like I get to go away with my mates for a week to all these countries and play gigs. Like, yeah, yeah. What? fuck off um yeah it's great so so that that helps it's just about getting out there like you said about the the early scene thing you know and in, in, with, with your scene and everything like that it's great but a lot of people think that if you're good they will come to you and that kind mm. of with the internet can happen but you've got to hit those population hubs you know we we Froome could get really sick of us really quick if we played just yeah. played in Froome. <laughs> yeah and so you have to go out. You have to go to them. The audience has to go to you. And I think a lot of people, if you're listening to this and you're starting a band, don't wait for them to come to you. You have to go to them. You can be the greatest yeah, thing in yeah. the fucking world. You have to go and play Bristol. You have to try and get yourself a gig in London. And they met, and those first gigs may not be incredible, but I tell you what, every time we played somewhere new someone come out the woodwork from a neighboring city or they booked another venue in the city and they said, Hey, do you want to go? Do you guys want to do this? We're very lucky that every mm. time we went to London, it produced another London show or another London concert. Yeah, yeah. And that's just how it goes. Gigs beget gigs. And you have to just go out there and you have to hit it. You have to be prepared to sleep on floors. Um, and you have to be prepared to to be uncomfortable at times for things like that. But it, the payoff is, is that you see this thing that you're doing growing. But yeah, I would say Spotify is and, and Bandcamp is definitely a big help because these people that are into hardcore punk in Europe, especially in Europe, they're looking for it. They're trying oh, yeah, to find yeah, yeah. it, you know, and they're seeking it out. Um, distribution is great if you can get on a little dist distro out in Europe or whatever and pay half towards some tapes or something and, and get their, you know those put out there. But I wouldn't be able to tell you a, a, an actual point where it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, here yeah. is where we've broke Europe. Not that we broke Europe, but <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just a gradual thing. Um, and Spotify is a really big help because it really can just open yeah. you up to so much. And you mentioned like fair shows and, and things like that. And like the other thing that I always find interesting is people's first like tours rather than their first shows. Right. And I think like you said that earlier, obviously you'd hadn't really kind of been anywhere prior to sick ones, like whether it be on holiday or anything like that. Mm. But like, so what was like the early sort of sick ones tours? Like was, did it, did you go into it having, cause I think like as well with touring, like people have different sort of 
ideas of what it's going to be like and how it actually turns out like some people fucking love it off the bat other people a bit it takes them a bit more time so what was it like what was that experience like for you the first time you hit the road yeah i'm just trying to think of when the first the first instance was that i think we could call it a tour um, <laughs> right uh, i guess it's any, i guess it's any case where it's like more than two shows maybe yeah right <laughs> yeah consecutively uh, yeah. i've had friends that have been like yeah this is the summer tour and it's four fucking shows where they go home and go to bed. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, sweet. But in the back of my head, I'm like, that's not a tour. Yeah. That's four gigs <laughs> on four days. And your bed at the end of them. Yeah. Um, maybe someone else's if you get lucky, but, you know. Yeah. But, but there we go. But yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure. I definitely just, that was the stuff I loved the most though. was, and mm. it wasn't like, sometimes like my, my best memories of, of like, um, you know, things that we've done in sick ones have never really, they're never from on the stage. I mean, there's a few times where there's, a, you know, there's a bunch of memories of being on stage that are really great. But my favorite, favorite times in sick ones have always been on the road, in the van, mm. just chatting, for, and you know you've got nine... Oh, there's one time we drove Vienna to Berlin, I think. Oh, that was oh fucking, God, that's, that's a long one. Was nine hours, man. Yeah. And it was just... It was great. It sounds so grueling, but it was great. It was me and Charlie. We were up in the front. We, we, Ben's dad had a really nice Vauxhall van that he... Um, he lent us. We put like two thousand miles on those tires as well. It's weird. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't seem to mind. But um, was it two thousand miles? Maybe not. But a lot of miles. Um, yeah. Berlin and back, basically. Um, and it was just you know, me and Charlie. You know, he was showing me as we were driving past things in Germany. He was going through like World War Two facts and things. And all oh, you see over there, that was bombed to shit, and this and that. And he was almost like an encyclopedia of like yeah, World yeah. War Two like knowledge. And you know, we'd put on, um, we'd put on, uh, we're like, we had uh, who did we have on? It was a uh, hip hop guy. Um, Oh, it's the the African. What's the guy? His album had his grand uh, his grandfather on it. He's from Africa, and he was talking. And he kept coming back to uh, like his skits were like little interviews with his granddad. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh, I know who you mean, but I can't oh, think of the name mate. now. Oh, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. Anyway, but it was just like, yeah, throw it on, whatever. We we don't listen to, we'd never listen to hardcore punk really on tour yeah. in the van. You'd expect the van to show up and it just be like from out the windows and everything, but it's not. It isn't. We had Sapiens, the audio book on for for like four hours once, just sat there quietly listening to when the Spanish found the Aztecs. And what that would have been like, and and, and just I fell asleep during that. But um, <laughs> it was just those are my happiest memories. It's just seeing the world go by, experiencing mm. new places. The pre-show bits are cool when you get to meet the locals and uh, and uh, you see some of the other bands uh, uh, like setting up, or you meet people and you have to sort of negotiate in broken English. Like, can I borrow? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a drum stool? Yes, I have a drum stool. Can I use it? Yes, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pedal, pedal. Have you got a pedal? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I got one of those, mate. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, though. So yeah, my earliest memories. Oh, I, I think one of the first weekenders we went on, or, or or like an early tour thing, we got to listen to um, ourselves on the radio in the van while we we're out doing That's it. That's cool. That was really cool. And there was another one when we were driving through. We just we just nipped into the Netherlands on this route. We we didn't play in the Netherlands, but we just nipped in. I'm not sure, not sure where we were going, but it was like the sun was shining. It was us three in the car, just chilling. Um, summertime out in Europe, like I said. And, you, you know, again, we heard ourselves like being introduced on BBC Six and that, and it was just like, oh, this is just like some of the best moments. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, we're out here living this little dream and, and like just fulfilling all of our little musical fantasies and then back home you know we're on the radio to like a million listeners or something it just really felt like something was happening it's the great great times to be alive i think it's it's funny like because i I totally agree with you like it is those moments like when you're like moving from venue to venue that can be like the perfect ones And, and like an example i always use it's like a horrible drive but i think it cemented me and like my friend's friendship so I always hound him for this booking because it's fucking awful. We drove from the south of Spain to the north of France and it was like we had to do like an overnight drive. So we I can't remember the name of the city now, but literally they finished, loaded the van and we went just straight, like didn't stop. And we stopped at like a service station just so I could, because obviously I was doing all the driving, just so I could have like a couple of hours kip. This was in like February as well, south of Spain. You think, oh, it'd be quite nice. Woke up at like four in the morning to get driving again, and it was like Baltic, freezing cold. (laughs) So there's three of us in the van, and just just for warmth, all three of us like sat in the front, just like coats, hoodies, just like like cuddled up together, trying to get some warmth whilst we drive into France. And like as you say, like that sounds horrible, but it's a memory that I will always remember and it's something that like I will always treasure. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Those, those moments in the van are definitely, definitely the one. It's the moments of adversary. It, like, you know, an adversary. Uh, no, what am I talking about? What am I saying? What am I trying to say? Battling uh, adversity. Battling it. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Battling adversity. I've got a similar story. When we were in the States, I was always, because I'm so tall, I was like shotgun all the time at the front seat, yeah. which is one of the perks of being a giant in a band <laughs> is you don't get really stuffed in the back because, um, you know, you need the leg room in that. So, But that meant that I had to stay awake for all of, all of the... Uh, there was no dozing off for me because it was my unwritten responsibility to keep austin awake and um we played i think it was north north carolina north or south one of the carolinas Um, Mm. we played them both i'm not sure which one this was i think it was south and we got done it like one in the morning and we had to like we didn't have to intimidate the promoter. That's not what I'm. That's what I'm gonna say. But he tried to get out of paying us, and right, okay. we had to sort of put our foot down a bit. And I think he felt a bit intimidated, and he paid up. So, you know. But don't try and fucking screw your band uh, at the end of the night. Who's <laughs> yeah. flown from the fucking UK to play your your little dive bar? Um, 
so we got whatever we didn't even get full full pay from that i don't think we he gave us like whatever he could afford quote unquote mm. and we went on our way and anyway so we loaded up the 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 um the trailer thing that we we had on the back of the, the pickup truck and i said to austin i was like right where are we sleeping tonight and of course like in the uk or europe it's always like 20 minutes away you know yeah, it's yeah. strange if it's half an hour I, I thought it was strange going from essen to stay in cologne which was only the half an hour drive i thought that was weird that was like kind of like oh this is a bit out of the way isn't it um he went oh we're, we're uh yeah we're sleeping at, um uh we're sleeping at my mate's house he's in georgia i was like what the fuck <laughs> hell. i was like how long is it gonna take you there um five hours it's like <laughs> it's one in the morning we drove <laughs> like eight hours to get maybe not eight hours we went north south probably um it took hours to get here. It's one in the morning. Now we're driving five hours to go to sleep. And it was like, yeah. And that yeah, drive, yeah. I swear it wasn't five hours, man. I think it was more. It felt like more. <laughs> and I remember like thinking, oh my God, dude, I don't want to do this. It's, I've been drinking as well. I was like on party mode. I thought we were going to be like yeah, half yeah. an hour away. We're going to rock up someone's house. He was going to have some beers for us there whatever and you continue and you know whatever and and, and uh, no five hours i was like great so now i'm gonna like sober up a little in this truck uh, and uh have to stay awake for another five hours so that you don't crash the car and we were driving yeah. past we we're going past atlanta at one point and it was all like lit up and on the side and everyone in the back was asleep and the coca-cola building was there and it was just like the bright lights of this big american city and I remember looking over at Austin and his eyes, he's just blinking and blinking and blinking and his eyes are looking heavy and he's just blinking and I'm thinking, oh no, you're going <laughs> to fucking go to sleep anyway. And then all of a sudden he sort of perks up again. He's like, puts the window down a bit, gets a cool like yeah, blast yeah. of air, <sighs> wakes up a little bit, pulls out a camel blue, you know, and that's that was it. Basically, you just have to chain smoke during the whole journey to keep him awake. <laughs> I'm, I don't know how many years of my life I let I lost to Camel Blues like in America just trying to stay awake, stay awake. <laughs> so that we didn't die. And um, we got there and got to bed at like I don't even know what time it was. But but weirdly, looking back on that, great memory. Weird. Yeah, yeah. I I totally get it. Yeah. And whilst we're on it, how did you guys like? How did the the states tour come about because i think like it's always something that like uk bands want to do but not many have the opportunity to do it yeah. so how did that kind of come about so when i, I used to host a radio show on Froom fm called velocity rock and this mm -hmm. was pre um pre sick ones and, and a little bit of overlap actually but it was this was pre sick ones and charlie was like hey dude i found this band called dive bomb and they're fucking sick and he was like check this out and it was a, it was a track called what dreams are made of and actually the video um that i watched is a different recording to the one that they later put out um li right. little bit of trivia for you there i don't know where that version that recording of where dreams uh, are made what dreams are made from sorry i'm not sure where that video version of the single is where it's released mm. but they're two different ones but they're both really rad and i was like this is so good and it was i guess it was just a random youtube encounter for charlie on his journeys because they're not like a huge band or anything but the video was sick they had a bit of a rage against machine element everything felt really good 
um, the the groove, um, the pocket they were in, the the metal aspects, the hip hop aspects, everything just was like, oh, this is incredible. This is just it's nothing that we hadn't heard before, but it was just executed mm. so well that it was just I just really loved it. So I reached out. I said, hey, I want to play you guys on the radio, and 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 they were like, great, you know. Oh fucking hell! Radio play. Even though it was a small little show, it was like someone yeah, in the yeah. world had found it and plucked them out and said, "Hey, I want to do." You know, I love this. So it was to them. It was like someone in the world, like outside of America, was aware of them, and I think that was probably quite cool for them, um, like it is any band. Um, and so yeah, so the, the relationship with Dive Bomb sort of formed from there. And once we'd done our, I think it was our first EP. Maybe it was after our second. Anyway, I said, oh, we should just do a split with Dive Bomb um, mm. because we had a great relationship with with them. We'd sent them merch and they'd sent us merch. It felt like a very old school kind of like mutual respect among bands. They sent us, yeah, yeah. They sent us patches and things from their scene tapes and we sent a little box of our shirts and other bits and pieces from bands we knew to them. And it felt very sort of organic and, and very wholesome if really thinking about it. And um, and uh, so we did this tape with them, and we thought that was cool. And uh, we didn't really think too much about it um, after that. And then they were booking a show, um, uh, booking a tour, and they gave us a bell, and they were like, "Hey, do you want to? If you want to fly over, do you want? Because we've got this booking agent, and we'll get him to book you on all these all these shows with us. Um, we've got the the space in in our um, pickup truck because we were only a three piece at that point. We had no bass player. Mm. We never did bass for for a long time. So there's only three of us. So it was like we could fit into a van quite easy. Um, they had a trailer for all kinds of stuff. They had a drum kit, like a pretty decent drum kit and some fairly good cymbals that their old drummer um, just left at their rehearsal space and then it never, ever came back for them. They had them for like <laughs> two years. And they were like, dude, yeah, you just use this kit and this shit. Does this look all right? And I was like, yeah, that looks fine. I'll use that. Um, they were like, you know, you can obviously you're, you can borrow guitars. Austin had some really great like double Emperor stacks. Um, he just has the best gear and orange heads and like multiple guitars. So it was like, yeah, you know, just use this uh, use this Les Paul copy thing, whatever it was. Gave that was that was Charlie's guitar for the for the uh, two weeks or however long we were there. Um, and so it was just basically like, yeah, come in, come in our van, use our booking agent, um, sleep on the same, sleep in all the places we're going to sleep, play all the same shows. We've got the drums, we've got the gear. Um, you know, um, Jake, who's the singer of Dive Bomb, had his own print company. So he was like, I'll, I'll print your shirts and your merch. Oh, that's cool. And so basically what we did is we went in on tourist visas, tried not to look like a band. So we wore all kinds of weird <laughs> shit to the uh, airport. <laughs> we looked like normies. Um, they were like, where are you staying? And we had it all written down, ready to go, like where we were going to stay. Oh, we're just doing a road trip and everything. And because uh, if they sniffed that we were a band, if we even took a plectrum, we were so paranoid that they were going to be yeah, like, yeah. you're coming here to work. Um, so that was it, basically. Went in as tourists. All the merch was booked. All the gear was there for us. All the shows were booked for us. Um, and we just, uh, that's what, what happened. If we got pulled over at any point, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> but yeah. weirdly, we sold so much merch um, going down the country that we put in another order 
with another one of the bands that had access to a print thing um, for when we came back up the country and we we printed on Champion and we pr- printed these like limited edition purple things or something like purple shirts and they were selling like you wouldn't believe. And um, Charlie ended up ditching all the clothes that he was going to take home and just packing all our excess merch into his um, luggage. So between him and Dan, <laughs> I couldn't take any because I'm a giant man. All my clothes are very giant. So I had no room yeah, in, my, yeah. in my suitcase at all. But we came back through um, through customs with like, 40 shirts or something all on all the same <laughs> and we got given these little sheets to declare anything and we really should have declared them i think but um <laughs> but we didn't and then when we got back to the uk because it was on champion we just hiked the price up and made some good <laughs> made some good money <laughs> fair play um before we kind of move on to like other stuff that you're doing the one thing that i did want to touch upon briefly is obviously you have had a bit of a lineup change and as I touched upon, there's a slight change in the sound and things like that. So obviously I don't want to kind of bring up if there was any bad blood or anything. No, like no that, bad blood. Like, Everything's cool. So what what was the kind of reason for the change in direction and bringing Christy in? Yeah, okay. So again, I'll do, I'm going to probably give you another rambly long answer on this one. No, you're good. Um, so when we were in the States... Um, we had a message from a, I, I'm not going to name them, but like a big, a big fish, um, industry uh, guy, um, talent, a uh, booking agent, uh, almost mm. revealed then, almost revealed the name uh, of the company. Um, I, I only say I'm not going to say the name because we were never officially on their books, and I don't really want to. Yeah, yeah. But they were doing us some favors and stuff, and, and so they'd heard us on Huey's show, and they were going to try and help us get on the Dead Kennedys tour, and it didn't happen. Okay. What happened is another band bought on the tour, which we were not prepared to do, so we didn't do the Dead Kennedys tour first time round when it came up. But when we were in America, I, I think what happened was that going to America did us more favors in the UK than it did in America. Although it has done us some great... Oh, okay. It's done us good, you know, great favours in America, obviously. But it's the fact that you've gone to America and you've done America. Yeah, yeah. It really does put you on another level, I find, here in the in the UK. Like, I definitely would feel the same about any band that's done... Got, you know, a lot of bands go out to Europe a few times and do that. And that's really cool and I'm all for it. But then as soon as you hear about, oh, they've gone to America and done it, you go, wow, that's next level. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So I think some people start to take us more seriously or were like, oh, wow, they've DIY booked an American tour. Like, this is very cool. And so what happened is we were in the States and we got this message saying from this booking agent, hey, do you want to do House of Vans uh, when you get back with Cancer Bats and Higher Power? And we were like, mm. hell yeah. Get us on bottom of the bill, whatever. Don't even care. We should. You should have seen our rider. We were like, just do us some sandwiches and some drinks. <laughs> we were so like, we were so like, we're like humble about it. And we got there and like higher power and cancer bats had like vodka and like rum and all this shit on their rider. We didn't ask for anything because we were like, no, we're just happy to be here. Like just like yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh someone at someone at House of Vans must have took a bit of pity on us because they ended up just giving us loads of cool shit anyway. But um but yeah I, I digress. I digress to the rider. But um yeah so that was basically um uh what happened uh, there so then we started playing some other things and so 
we then got a Dead Kennedys tour. And so after the States, things started ramping... Oh, I've forgotten what your question was. I remember it now. After the States, things started ramping up. <laughs> and things were getting more serious and some real money was starting to come over the... And I say real money, I don't, and I don't mean thousands, but I mean a big step up to what it was yeah. before America. Um, and so we were starting to make some good money on merch and things. It was to the point where we were like, yeah, we can buy a van and and really go for it and we just got to that point i think where ben um ben had gone as far as he wanted to go i think with with the music thing and we were really talking about really hitting it like, like as if we couldn't hit it any harder we were going to go and hit it even harder and really live it yeah almost to the point of like let's just quit our jobs and go live in the van and drive around europe and just pick up shows whenever wherever um and mm. really just keep going for it but we were on i really felt when when ben was in the band we were on the cusp of this other level this other echelon we were starting to get yeah. talks about radio one rock show and kerrang um bookings for the bigger festivals and other tours coming in so we were really on the precipice of just hitting that next league and i think ben realized that there was other passions in his life that he wanted to pursue and joining the band and, and, and joining us in hitting the 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 music thing as hard as we were going to would have meant that he would have had to sacrifice some of those other passions right he just was like you know guys i love you know i love you guys i love the band i love what we've done but i don't want to go that hard now i don't want to get the van i don't want to do this and that because he had other things he wanted to do so you know so that was uh we reached the end of the line with ben and we were determined to like so there's no bad blood there, actually. I was talking to Ben on the phone a couple of nights ago. It's all love. but um, mm. uh, And he's doing some interesting, um, like, techno, like, hardcore techno, I don't even know what to call it, really, but it's sort of like Berg, <laughs> Berghain-esque, very Berlin techno okay. techno stuff, sort of in, in, in an industrial thing going on there. It's not my thing, but I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I fully support what he's doing. Um and I wish him all the best with that. Um, but yeah, I spoke to Ben the other day. So there's no bad blood. It was a bit, it was annoying at the time because it felt like we'd put so much effort in and so much work. And again, there was like, like I was telling you earlier, that like sort of like, oh, I feel like shit. I just want my band back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because we were like, you know, they were my, you know, we I thick as thieves and, and I was sort of sad that I wouldn't be spending that amount of time with Ben anymore because I, you know, I do love him. But um yeah and we were so after that me and charlie were determined to to keep going and christy was just the name that kept popping up and there was no like there's no political um drive behind switching to uh a female fronted thing and i hate to say mm. i don't want to say female fronted thing because it almost segregates it from the rest of yeah, yeah, yeah. music um but it was just it just kind of that was the the, the name that kept popping up and and once it pops up enough, you go, all right, well, let's explore that then. And um, and, and that's what we did, and it, and it was cool, and it worked out. And I felt like we proved that um, we could overcome that and come back to a place within Sick Ones where we felt we were almost back to where we were with Ben. Mm. Um, and that's kind yeah. of where we are now. There's there's a... I can't really talk about it too much. There's, a, a, there's an offer that's been made to us, which... 
like I think I said it earlier, will take us to another level. It's just whether or not mm. we're prepared, like where we were with Ben, where Ben was, whether we're prepared to now go back and yeah, you yeah. Know, double down on that and, and, and possibly have other elements of our lives and our passions um, not suffer, but they will definitely, there's definitely plate spinning that needs to happen. And we want to, mm. we want to be effective in all areas of our lives, personally, professionally, and whatever. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Christy is a great choice. She's great live. In fact, the first show we did with Christy live, once we'd finished, I'd almost forgotten that it was her first show. Oh, okay. You know, like I was talking to someone, I was like, were the drums all right? Did they sound good? Like, was I too loud? And they were like, yeah, 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 it was great. And they were like, Christy did a good job too. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, how was she? <laughs> I felt like such a narcissist. It was ridiculous. I was like, oh God, you must think I'm so self-absorbed. Um, <laughs> but it was just because I just I just trusted her out there. Like after the first yeah, song, yeah. Um, it just felt good. It felt good. It felt like we'd been doing it a long time. The crowd seemed to really respond to her. She seemed to really go to a next light. I hadn't seen Christy act like that ever. She just unleashed mm. this inner thing in her and she went for it. And, I, and it was just to the point where I was like, okay, I can relax now. And me and Charlie, as long as we've got this locked down, um, and we we're we you know upholding our end of the bargain here to support her. Obviously, on her first show, we needed to be really good so that she didn't get yeah. lost or or get confused. That we couldn't fuck up basically because we would have thrown her right out. Um, yeah, yeah. And as long as me and Charlie had it down, um, it was great. So yeah, it, I've, yeah. Christie's been a great um, replacement for Ben, and I guess that was almost a part of that new agility sound thing. Was like, right, well, we've got you mm. know we've got a new element here. Christie feel fills a different frequency, like range as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. So just mixing us is different to how you'd have to have mixed us before because mm. um, because of the register that she's singing in. So it's very it was an interesting yeah. transition for sure. Well, we'll put a pin in sick ones for the moment because there are other things I want to talk to you about. And you mentioned, obviously, you started it kind of in the pandemic, but you've obviously got your own podcast. And I think, like, your podcast is really interesting because it doesn't fit a necessary, like, audience. And I mean that in the nicest term because you have so many, like, very different, different guests mm. and different subjects and things like that. So what was the idea behind it and, like, what did you kind of want to achieve with it? Yeah, so the podcast, um, and no, I didn't I didn't take any offence to that. I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean by that. Um, uh, the podcast came about, I didn't feel like I had any any time to do a podcast. When right. Harry Williams uh, is the producer of the podcast. He finished up uni and stuff. He invested a lot of money into, like, this mic isn't even mine. I'm so spoiled. Um, all this stuff isn't <laughs> mine it's his he's bought it um, and basically he wanted to establish himself as a podcast producer and he's got a first right, class okay. honors degree in audio and he's an audio wizard technical marvel genius guy a really in awe of of his sort of audio knowledge it's really just like fucking next level um and he came to me and he said andy i want you know because i'd had a couple of radio shows um, previously that I I ditched to focus on sick ones 
because I didn't feel they were getting anywhere. I felt like I was spinning my wheels with them and Sick Ones was very rapidly growing. I was like, oh, well, here's a thing I'm putting a lot of my life force into and I'm getting something out of it. I'm putting in, I'm getting it out and it wasn't happening with the radio show stuff. As much as I loved sharing music with people live on Froom FM or wherever I was, I was on some other stations as well, like internet stations and that. As much as I loved doing that, it was becoming a bit of a chore and all mm. my gear, like my Mac at the time, was becoming a big piece of shit. And it was just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. God, I just can't be bothered with this anymore. Um, and, it, yeah, like I said, it wasn't growing. And I didn't know why, because I felt like I was putting in a good quality show every week. Um, so, yeah, I called it a day on that and focused on sick ones. And um, I started to get, over the years, people have always said to me, oh, I should do a podcast, Andy. Oh, Andy, you ever thought about doing a podcast? Because I'd be like doing my like at the moment. I'm just about to change careers, but I'm um, not. Like I'd call working in a shop a career. Sorry if you do work in a shop, but I personally don't see it for myself being on the till in a co-op as um a, yeah, yeah. A, a, as a, a career. But um, uh, so I get to know people and talk to people and build rapport with people. And Froome feels like the center of the universe at the moment. You got a lot of people from London, a lot of professionals moving in because there's a like some direct line with London. They can get paid yeah. London wage to work from home and pay a Somerset cost of living, I guess. And so there's many perks. So Froome's becoming this really kind of hip, um, cool place. In fact, it was just named by the Sunday Times as the the best place in Britain to live. And they had a little quote from oh, okay. they had a little quote from me in there. But spoiler alert, I never said that. I don't know where that came from, but I'm quote <laughs> I'm quoted in it. I probably got an email from someone at the, at the council saying, Andy, we've quoted you as this. Is this okay? And I've gone, Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and not read that it was for the fucking Sunday Times. But um uh so yeah, Froom's got this quirky little thing. And so you get to know all these people and you get to have these great little conversations and you can have a laugh with people. And I guess like it's becoming, you know, people come in the shop and I've got this person, I'm like, you know, like I said, I'm a big personality, big guy, and I'm trying to mm. fend off the boredom. So I want to have conversations with people. And so people would keep saying, oh, Andy, you should do a podcast. You should do this. You should do that. You should you have a great podcast. And I always thought it was like, yeah, something I'll do at some point, but I didn't think I had the time. I would have had to have found the money to invest in all the gear and, and find the time and um and, and harry came to me and said i have this gear i think you'd do a great podcast and i just trusted him over everyone that it said you should do a podcast because he understands yeah, them yeah. and i was like well if you think if you want to put your time and effort and use this um he spent a lot of money on this shit and i was like if you if you think i'm a worthy investment in your time and the use of your gear then I'm not going to say no to this opportunity, basically. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough to know when a door opens to me to walk through it. Um, and so I took it and I was, and, and I really didn't think I was going to have any time, but I was like, I'll find the time. I'll have to manage it because this is too good of an offer to, to have all this gear available to me and a producer and all I have to do. Mm. I feel like spoil. All I have to do is have interesting conversations with people. Like that's all yeah. I have to do. The rest is like the rest Harry deals with, puts it on Spotify, puts it on this and that. And all I have to do is find a guest and say, Can I talk to you for an hour? And have a fucking great time with them. It's, it's a great <laughs> it's a great gig. <laughs> it's really cool. So 
that's what I was going to ask because, like, as I've mentioned, like you do have like really varied guests. That they're no, they're not from like ones like unlike my podcast where it's all very much music centric. Yeah. Like not, your guests are from very different worlds and things like that. So, where do you kind of come up with the ideas of who you want to talk to, and like what about, or is it just like people that you find interesting and you reach out to them? It's people I find interesting. It's just people that I feel are available to me within my networks. Mm or people I feel that if I put the right email into the right inbox will be accessible to me. Obviously, if I email Angelina Jolie's agent, I'm never going to hear anything back. (laughs) You You never know. You You never never know. know. You never know. But but there are some people you you get to know. When I was doing the radio show, I I was lucky to interview people like Frank Carter, um, Mm. John Karabi from Motley Crue, Ex Motley Crew, uh, Kyle Gass from Tenacious D, Don Broco, John Cooper Clark, Tony Fucking Hawk. That was great. But so That's cool. then you get to real, but you get to know when these people are accessible. So if Kyle Gass is doing a if he's doing promo for a new Tenacious D movie, TV show, or album, you know that really at my level probably not going to get to him but when he's putting out promo for the kyle gas band relatively uh speaking you can you can get him because not many people really give a fuck about the kyle gas band they care about tenacious d right and i think kyle gas band were great by the way just saying um and so when they're on that promo trail for these other side projects and things like that then these big names that are attached to big things suddenly become very accessible because they have to play a smaller game in their promo. They have to realise that they're going to be talking to some some lower-level media stuff or, or, or local radio or whatever. So with the podcast, I've kind of taken that approach as well. I've been, I'm talking to a lot of friends who do really interesting stuff, so I'm not mm. really necessarily bothered if they have a huge profile or anything. If the conversation is yeah. there, I have the audience built in that so there's there's certain numbers we get consistently every week before i've even done any promo on it so i know that there's a core audience out there that any any conversation i give them they're going to listen to which is a really blessed position to be in and i do appreciate yeah yeah i appreciate that trust right that they trust that i'm going to deliver something entertaining to them but also you get to realize like I said, who's kind of accessible and what sort of stages people are at with their careers. And you get to like pick your shots a little bit. You know, some people, so I heard the other day someone said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, which is yeah. like, yeah, absolutely, that's true. Um, so I do, but it, you have to learn which shots to take. I can't spend eight hours trying to get George Clooney and, uh, 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 you know, and Dave Grohl and all these like huge, huge names um, because it's a waste of time. But I can. I can spend every day harassing Paul Chuckle on Instagram until he comes on the fucking podcast. <laughs> I can get Paul Chuckle. I know it. I just need to figure out how. <laughs> right? But yeah, so I haven't pigeonholed anything with the with the thing because it's about celebrating curiosity. And the thing was, it was like, there's all these people that I see in my day-to-day life that I want to have better or longer conversations with because I think they're really interesting, but because I was at work or whatever, then I wouldn't have been able to, to do that. So the podcast is mm. basically expanding that out into the world and being like, I'm going to get some people that I know who I want to have this conversation with. Now I have a reason to, to steal two hours of their day and, and have that conversation. It's purely selfish in many ways. 
Oh, massively. That's that's why I do this. Yeah, it's hugely selfish. It's selfish, and the you know, uh, the you know, might as well monetize your hobby. You know, it's like I like, to- <laughs> <laughs> but it's um. Yeah, I feel like I answer all your questions in the most rambling, roundabout way. It's, but, it's absolutely fine. But I, That's I, what it's all about. I like the idea that you can come to the giant pod and you've got Steve Swales, who was a, the principal lead sculptor for Man and Two Swords for 30 years, and think, Jesus Christ, he's met the Dalai Lama, he's met the Queen, he's done this, he's done that. Oh, listen, this is his story hanging out with Fidel Castro and wow, what a crazy life, like recreating all these people and hanging out with them and sculpting them. And and then the next week, like the one we put out yesterday, is like Michael Alago, he signed Metallica to Electro, he signed The Misfits to Geffen, produced Nina Simone, he's got a Netflix documentary. And then a week after that, you might have Dr. Susie Gage talking about drugs in a very scientific yeah. manner and talking about her podcast for Scroobius Pip or um, comedians or... Um, uh, I got a, a military. Um, uh, what's the word in the films when they uh, military advisor for 1917? Mm. He's episode one. So it's just anyone that's doing something which I find infinitely more interesting than I do for my wage. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to them about that's it, fair. and and I just that's wish cool. that I hope, sorry, that people come in and they go. Uh, after you know we're on episode 28 or something now, so very soon we'll have 30 episodes in the out there and you can cherry pick what you find interesting if you just like the music based chats there's that there if you want the stuff that's a bit more arty there's you know christopher bucklow talking about he's got a book out of every dream he's ever had noted down he's got all kinds of theories Mm. about the subconscious and what dreams mean and and then someone else is like a goldsmith and he's made ewan mcgregor's rings or he talks about his life as a goldsmith in soho and everything like that it's just anyone who's done anything extraordinary or interesting with their life that's basically what i'm interested in i guess in a way it's kind of got that joe rogany thing where it doesn't really matter who they are he gets them yeah. on because he wants to have the conversation. But I try and uh, I don't have that kind of like overtly male um, thing going on with the pod in terms of like, we're not like talking about MMA and fighting <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Um, I've never done DMT either, but <laughs> I, you know, I like those podcasts where you can go through their catalog and you go, I did that one doesn't do it for me, but that one looks interesting. That's what I was going to say. I think that's what I like is that, like, not all of your guests are necessarily to my taste, but there are ones that I can go, oh, that that will probably be an interesting conversation and whack that one on while I'm at work sort of thing. Yeah. So, and, like, I hope that's kind of a similar, like, okay, like, the majority of people that come to my podcast are there for music, but because I don't just focus on hardcore, like, I've got people that are in, like, punk bands and, like, metal like okay it's the alternative sphere but it's not just a one genre and like people have different stories and stuff like that so it's not like a chronological thing people can go into the ones that they're interested in which is yeah i think the important part and i tell you what people do do that because when i was going to do a little bit of research on this earlier like i said i'm really sorry it was a shit a bit a shit amount of research (laughs) but i was gliding through on, on spotify and i saw uh you know, Black Dahlia Murder. I was like, oh, hello. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or I, if you had Dan, uh, you've had Dan uh, from Callus Records, haven't you? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I was like, oh, hi, Dan. 
Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like yeah, it's cool. I like it. I I find there's a lot of podcasts out there that really paint themselves into a a corner, and I think you know what fucking what are you gonna do after twenty episodes? <laughs> like, yeah. what are you gonna do now? You've done it. You've done it now. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, so I wanted something that had an infinite, you know, infinite potential. I didn't want to do a yeah. limited series. I didn't want to do. Uh, some people are like, oh, this, uh, I've got a friend. I'm not going to tell you who it is because he didn't. I sound like it's such a dick as well. Oh, I've got this. I'm not going to tell you who it is, though. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I don't mean to sound like that guy, but this guy specifically doesn't doesn't want to, um, doesn't want people to know he's behind this podcast. He's It's an anonymous thing, but <clears throat> okay. um, he's he did a uh, Only Fools and Horses podcast, and it was like episode by episode, and it got really popular, and obviously no one knew who was really behind it all. Um, and But I remember thinking, like, what are you going to do when you've run out of... When it finishes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if you start making, like, good good cash from this and uh, you get sponsors and, and all this other stuff? And it's like, then, then what do you do? Like, I get it. You just do a different TV show, I guess, that you love or maybe. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I didn't want I didn't want to, like yourself, with this podcast, you can go forever with this. Yeah. And you don't have to worry. Well... I'm conscious that I am taking up a lot of your time, so we'll quickly pivot to... Don't you worry to, about it, mate. Th- I've, I've done this to myself. <laughs> My long-ass <laughs> we'll, answers. We'll pivot, to, <laughs> we'll pivot to the other element that I wanted to talk about, and you've mentioned it briefly, but you are currently Deputy Mayor of Froome Town Council. You are a local councillor. Mm. And I think, like, for someone that's 28, like, it's quite interesting, because I think... Like everyone of kind of our generation, especially everything that's going on now, is like well likes to think they're politically savvy or politically switched on, but on a national level, they don't necessarily think of like the quote unquote grassroots and like what's going on in their local town, city, whatever. Mm. And like my relationship with local councils is is so I used to work for my local newspaper. So a lot of that is like getting stories from local councillors, getting quotes from local councillors. And I didn't realise like what a valuable source they were until I kind of got into that line of work and like how much of a heart of the community they are. So I guess my first question is like, what drove you to want to kind of pursue it? Because like, again, sort of like the podcast kind of thing, you do need to put a bit of commitment into it. And it's a, it's a bit of a ballsy thing, like to put your name forward to be voted in. And then like some people may not give a shit, but like obviously you're doing something right. So where where did that want to do something for Froome and put something back into it come from? So it's just <laughs> I thought it was the most punk rock thing you could do. <laughs> nice. Um and it started as a bit of a joke, really, in all honesty, which I'm sure people would hate to hear now, but it's yeah. <laughs> I'm in now. Um, <laughs> I won the election. What are we going to do? Um, but it, it did. It started out like a joke. It was just that it work, it work in the centre of town, in the shop that I was, you know, working in. I knew everyone, and I and and. Like I said earlier, you know, big guy, big personality. I want to have fun. I don't want. I want. I don't want to be bored at work. I want the time to go. I want to have conversations with people. There's people I love to see. Um, and I started making this joke, like, "Oh, I feel like I'm the mayor of Froome." 
because I just knew everyone. And, you know, if someone needed something, I could put someone in touch with someone that does the thing. And I could, you know, I had, I've got a great expansive network because I've lived in a small town for 28 years and I'm, and I'm a, a recognizable character. So you, with, with mm. those elements, you tend to, and I'm an outgoing, obviously an outgoing kind of person in, in many ways. So you tend to, you know, people like myself, you, you get an, a, a good network, especially, like I said, in a small town. So I was just joking about being the mayor, right? Oh, yeah, I could be the mayor. And I thought that would, like, piss people off because it would be, like, this rock, like huge rock and roll um, leather jacket wearing, you know, dead Kennedy's patch wearing, like, you know, piss-take mayor or whatever. It would be very, yeah, very yeah, like, yeah. hipster or whatever as well, an element of that. Um, and I didn't think it would happen. And then the councillors who I didn't... I didn't even know how a council worked. And I didn't even know you had to be a councillor to be the mayor. I just didn't. I didn't know anything. I did. I'd right, spent. Okay. I'd spent five, four years at whatever it was at that point, trying to be on the road, not in Froome, as much as I could be, with the band. Mm. I just. I wasn't thinking. I didn't spent my life thinking about how the local council works. I'm trying to navigate the music industry. I've got fucking time to think about yeah, the yeah. local fucking parish council. Um, and we were in a bit of a lull with the sick one stuff. It was in the transition between Ben and Christy. And, uh, you know, there were some times where I was wondering if we were actually going to be able to come back from it. And so I started thinking about, oh, what am I going to do? What's my next What's my next thing? I need to, I know I like, I want to keep busy. And and what is the next thing I'm going to do? And so these counsellors, you know, I was joking to them and I didn't know they were counsellors. They were just mates or whatever, or acquaintances yeah. that come in the shop. And they were going, oh. And then the mayor comes in and he goes, oh, hey, Andy, I hear you want to be the mayor. And I went, <laughs> I went, yeah, man, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm thinking, like, oh, cocky, I'm thinking about it. And um, he went, well, have you considered being a town councillor? And I said, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so they sort of like started like, and then other people were coming in going, oh, here you want to be the mayor, you know, and then, oh, we think you would be all right at that. And suddenly I realized that a lot of these people that were kind of whispering in my ear about it were town councillors. And I was, and then, right. and then all of a sudden it went from being this weird joke to being like, like I said earlier, like I'm smart enough to know when a door opens for me to walk through it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it became this thing where it was like these people that do this really serious thing that I don't fully understand, but it sounds really fucking important, um, are asking me to join them and like, and you know, come into these corridors of or try and attempt to enter these corridors of power, quote unquote, um, mm. sort of sarcastic, quote unquote. Um, and I thought, well, maybe a shit, maybe I should sort of take this a little bit. Maybe I should think about this. And I've said, well, you know, I'd like to be the, the mayor. I think I could do that. That would be fun. Opening up shops and attending yeah, yeah, yeah. formal things with my Doc Martens on and my Misfits t-shirt. I mean, it's just like, just stupid. It's just like League of Gentlemen shit, right? And <laughs> and I just, and, and they just took me seriously, even though I was not taking it seriously. And I think it was because they saw young blood and they need. They knew they needed some diversity in in their, um, in their sort of age groups and stuff because it is mm. it's quite a middle aged scene. Um, yeah, yeah. Or it's people who retired who have the time to to um to put into it. You know, a hundred hundred and twenty percent. You know, and really live it. 
Um, and so, yeah, I ended up trying to join this this group called the Independence for Froome. And what's really cool about Froome is that our town council is comprised of entirely independent councillors. Now, else, oh, that's cool. Um, so elsewhere in the country, you've got party politics. There are the yeah, yeah. There's the odd uh, independent councillor, I think, here and there. Um, but generally, it's it's party politics. And what Froome did is that some people got together and they developed this thing. It's a non-party. It's called the Independence for Froome. And they all ran for election and they won most of the seats first time round. And what happened is that things started getting done. They were able to be far more ambitious than a parish council typically can be and get lots of things done that were outside of their like legal obligation and really become a really sort of proactive um, force in the community. And, and, and it was being, you know, people were not having to report back to a head office in London for Labour or Lib Dems or the Conservatives or whatever about what was fucking happening in their own town. So yeah, yeah. we get to make the decisions about what happens in Froome as people who live in Froome, and we don't have to ask Joe Bloggs or whoever in, in some head office somewhere if that's okay. We've taken back our town, basically, from party politics. Mm. And there's no that's squabbling cool. either. In the, I mean, people get can get heated in debate, but we have a ways of working, which is about respect and, and uh, you know, not... Um, you know, being respectful to your colleagues and stuff. But what used to happen is you'd have a really great idea for the town coming from a Lib Dem guy and, uh, the you know, maybe the, the lady in the Labour Party side of things on the council would shoot it down because it was, a, you know, a party politics thing. And it wasn't because it, she mm. was thinking about what was good for the town. She was playing the political party game and that's gone now so over the years um the last two elections every seat 17 seats in Froome's parish town council have been taken by um independent councillors but they all come under this uniform independence for Froome so that we're all not singing off the same hymn sheet so to say we've got no we've got no whip we've got no real steer but we are all organised in our effort to keep yeah, Froome yeah. independent. And, um, and That's cool. And that's basically, I thought, and then, and that, so when I learned about that, so I didn't know how town, town councils run anyway, and then I had to find out, but then I had to find out about it from this independent point of view as well, which I feel like made it a little bit more complicated. It probably doesn't, but I, in my head, I was just like trying to figure this whole thing out. So I was figuring it out when I was running for election. You know, people had to leave their house and go to a polling station and vote for me. And I still, when I was voted in, I still didn't really know. I'm learning on the job. I still didn't really know. <laughs> but someone said to me, "You've got to do this. If you want to be the mayor, you've got to, you've got to get voted in as the town councillor." And then, but when I found out about this independence thing, and this is what Froome does, I was like, "Oh my god, this is like one of the only things in the country that does it." The guys that started it, one of them wrote a book called Flat Pack Democracy, Peter McFadden. That's cool. And that's kind of known now as the the sort of Maybe not the Bible, but it's known as the you know the manual on how Froome um, got its town council independent, and other places are following suit, and other you know people mm. come to us for guidance or come to ex councillors who formed this independence movement in Froome to help them install that sort of thing within their town. So it's becoming a, 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 a like a, like you said a grassroots movement. 
and it's based around localism in, in some ways. Um, mm. And we're not going to kill anyone with our decisions. The, the, the powers that we have are not so powerful that, if, you know, the decisions we make are going to see someone die. You know, we're not... Yeah. <laughs> that was the other thing, is that we can do this. Why can't we take this back and do yeah, this? Because yeah. the decisions that are being made are not the decisions that central government make that really, really impact lives in a huge way. You know, if you cut disability um, benefits, people are going to die. And some, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. people are going to be, it's going to have an adverse effect on someone's life. That's not those decisions. We don't make those decisions. Um, so the things we do are just way more about the community and way more like about positivity and adding to things. And, you know, we don't have to, we don't have the, um, we can sleep at night. Yeah. Basically. I, I think it's interesting, like, because as I've mentioned, like sort of my relationship with it. And I think, so I used to work in Basingstoke and their, their town council, well, borough council even, it was very much party politics. Like it was very conservative heavy, but you have like labor and stuff and so on and so forth. And like, on there'd be like ideas that were brought to the table that like on paper you think, yeah, no brainer, but the conservatives would just vote it down time after time because of party politics and just before I I left the job, there was like a, like a splinter group happened where it was met like former members of the Labour Party, former members of the Conservatives, and they formed this independent forum of Basingstoke because they had enough of like following party lines. And it it just sh- it shows like that politics that isn't like national central government, when it is like on your doorstep, it can make a difference when you have like someone like yourself that has lived in the town all your life knows what's going on like round the corner and can sort that shit out rather than as you say like having to answer to an anonymous name up high kind of thing there's still a bit of bureaucracy there's still a bit of red tape it's just the nature of the beast but it's far more Mm. and the other thing is you know it's like um i have to live with these people as well you know, yeah. that's the other thing is like the politicians, um, the big, you know, the bigger politicians or whatever, or people in other organizations, they don't have to see the effects of what their, their decisions are necessarily all the time. But, you know, if I um, decide that I don't think such and such should get a grant and, and my vote is the deciding vote, I've got to see that person who doesn't have the tennis court <laughs> the <Yeah>. next week. <laughs> yeah. And they can see me in the street and say, you, you bastard. <laughs> you know? So I like I kinda like that because you can't you can't let anything go to your head or get big headed or anything. The town is like yeah. you know, you're a member of the town. And I almost see it a little bit as sort of like community service. Like i you know, once I've done, um, because you do four years, I can run for election again and do another four and then and then generally what the independence for Froom thing do is once you've done eight, it's time to bow out. Because otherwise, yeah. it becomes about retaining your seat. It becomes about you. I guess, I guess after yeah, eight yeah, years, yeah. it becomes about holding on to. I don't want to. I don't want to say power. It just sounds like a dickhead thing to say, but that's what I mean. You know, after yeah, no, eight no, years, it can be interpreted as career politics in some way. Um, even though we don't make any money um, from for doing it, it's all. It's, all, um, it's a uh, what's the word I'm searching for? Voluntary role. 
Yeah. But yeah, I would just like to emphasize that although it started as a piss take and um oh this would be fun, wouldn't it? Rock and roll and everything. <laughs> as I've learned about what we do and I've been in part of the the you know the process and decisions and and I've been the deputy mayor and stuff. Uh, you know, you it you it you kind of take it seriously. You kind of go, "Oh wait, mm. hang on. There is so much to this I didn't know about, but look, look at what I can what I'm able to do now. So, um, you know, like the mayor's column, for instance, I've written a few pieces where I felt inspired to say something that isn't just, you know, the regular mayor's update about, you know, oh, isn't this bench we've put in the park here very good? I've had lots of comments (laughs) from people about how much you've been enjoying it. Um, You know, I've been able to say something a little broader, you know, on social issues or... And I don't want to be preachy ever. I don't want to sound like I'm ever preaching to people. Mm. Um that's but it's there's an element of moral leadership with it and i take that that seriously that you know i did a piece on women's safety um a while back a week or two back and i had a card given to me from someone's neighbor who was a friend a really good friend of joe everard's sorry not Mm. joe sarah everard's the lady that gave me the card was called joe yeah and um she said your piece andy was the um the only piece I read that gave me any hope. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but it was just like, you no, know, no. you start off with, and I kind of felt like a, a bit of a hypocrite doing that as well, because we've, I think all men, when it, I don't want to go really go down that that particular political route here, but I do feel that all men are guilty of being knobheads at some point. No, oh, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. all, we can all do better. We can all learn. We should all listen a bit more. We're going to continue to make mistakes. Um, but I think, you know, we're all a bit guilty. So I didn't want to really, I felt weird writing that piece because I felt like I was being a bit of a hypocrite at times. But mm. you've got to realise that when you have that platform and you're speaking with from your ceremonial role, that actually what you're saying, you know, people listen and they read it and they take it to heart. And so even if you don't feel massively comfortable, even if I don't feel massively comfortable saying those things because sometimes I feel like, a bit of a hypocrite at times or whatever it's still important to say that stuff because because you can mm. touch someone and and that was such a humbling thing to 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 have that card and with all the press and all the news media surrounding the Sarah Everard thing for her to say that your your piece Andy was was um really touched me more than any of the others was really powerful and so yeah like i said it starts off as a bit of a piss take you know this would be a bit of a fun thing won't it this will just be a bit shocking for some people this punk rock mare thing and then you get into it and you're like actually no this is a serious thing and there's real responsibility here and i can actually use this for real good rather than a cheesy photo shoot with some stuffy looking (laughs) tory dude you know <laughs> um so yeah i just wanted to to make that cl- make that clear that you know i take i do take it quite seriously um now i'm now i know actually what i got myself yeah. in for i've i've fully embrace it and again like just from my experience like i know how uh, it might be different in frame but this is why i'm kind of posing the question i know that like the mayor role is kind of ceremonial and it changes like well, where I was working, it was usually like the most senior person on the council would be the mayor and then it would go to the next senior and it would trickle down. But because you're deputy mayor, does that mean the following year that you're going to be mayor or does it not work like that in Prune? Um, it doesn't It doesn't guarantee it. 
generally what happens okay. is that is how it goes. Um, mm. I would feel very strange about not voting someone who'd been a deputy into the full role the year after because yeah. I think like, well, you know, you've you've earned your stripes. You've done you've put the work in, you have the experience. You should be the one who 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 now elevates to that position. I would only not vote someone into that role if I really had a real issue with them as a person and I didn't think that yeah uh, and I don't mean like a polit- uh, I don't mean like a personal beef it would be like I wouldn't vote someone in who I thought would abuse the role or was not right for it in in a you know in, in, uh, if I felt it would be irresponsible for me to give them you know my vote then I wouldn't vote them in yeah. but luckily I've got some really cool really switched on um, colleagues I'm never the smartest guy in the room and I love that um and uh yeah so generally the the deputy does go to mayor um i i I can't tell you if i'm going to be the mayor in may because we still have to do the vote but um yeah but um i probably going to happen because that's That's just the way it goes as long as i put myself forward for it i think i've got a good shot of it because i didn't screw this up as deputy mayor, <laughs> yeah. so generally it's it's uh, it's um, what's the word tradition that this is this is how yeah. it goes. Unless I decide I don't want it, which I'm not going to do. That's cool. Right, I'll start to round things up. We'll switch back to music briefly just to to sign things off. Obviously, last year you guys obviously put the single out. The first thing I want to ask, because that was a single, is there other material that you're currently sat on, or was that meant to be a standalone single? Oh mate, I'd love to tell you that we've got some sort of like rarities box set or something. Like I'd love to be <laughs> I'd love to be in a band that can like do that. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm a CD collector. I love it. I've got like f- almost 2000 CDs and I'm nice. always like they're reissuing it. What rarities are on there? What demos? Oh, there's a whole live show. Give it to me. I own the album three times, but there's a live show in this one. Like I will get it or buy it. And I've always kind of wanted to be in a band that people give a fuck about enough to um to like want that shit but in all honesty i have to be really honest there isn't really anything everything no because it's diy and it's so self-funded we didn't have we didn't have the we don't have the um uh we, we we don't have the um the privilege of throwing around someone else's money frivolously at yeah, producers yeah. and playing pool when we should be recording drums and learning table tennis instead of doing vocal um backing vocals and shit you know what bands get up to do you know what i mean or or kicking back for the day and going to the bar or whatever like we don't have that we've never had that kind of funding so when, when we go in the studio we, we we make sure what we're recording is what we want to record um and we make sure that we're tight as fuck and we've polished it to the point where we're very happy with it we go in and we get it down and we do it so by the nature of that you know having to be very sensible with how we fund the band and the time management involved in using our time wisely and and you know we i'd love to have been in a studio for a month and have Mm. uh, you know a disc's worth of like demos or alternative takes or um other songs that we decided not to use but genuinely everything we wrote we put out um there is some there's some um remixes though there's a there's an old was well, a legendary rave electro electronica act called the future sound of london 
they were on um, Virgin Records in the 90s. They put out this this song called Papua New Guinea, which basically kicked off the rave scene. Um, okay. They're a really big deal in, in that world. And they're, they're very like, they're a bit of a legacy act now. But they went off and they did this thing called the uh, Amorphous Androgynous and they did some official Oasis remixes. They did right. uh, they did an album with um, Noel Gallagher and apparently it was mm. really great. And then he he changed his mind and he destroyed all the all the sessions. Oh, fuck. But there was a whole like original Noel Gallagher album that they did with him. Anyway, so one half of those guys, um, he goes by the name of Yage. Um, he lives um, near Froome. And uh, he, well, I've got to know him as well. I'm trying to get him on the podcast, but he's the kind of guy that in an interview, he wants his face blurred out. Right. Like he's yeah, really yeah. like, I am the guy behind the, sh- in the shadows with the keyboard and the mouse. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, you know, I don't want the limelight. I'm trying to get him on the, on the podcast. I'm trying to coax him out gently. Come on, come on. Maybe, maybe I'll get a little <laughs> like Cherry Bakewell out and be like, come on, Brian. <laughs> come to the podcast i've got bakewell tarts um but um he has done some remixes some sick ones remixes and cool. um from all of that from all out uh from all the way through our eps from the the beginning i think maybe um and so there's a bunch of shit knocking around that he's done there's like an 808 agility remix where they nice. he's basically basically when you take Christie's vocals and put it on like an 808 drum beat and you and you mash up the guitar a little bit, it's a fucking hip-hop song. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm not even mad that it's like my drums aren't on it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's... Uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of that stuff knocking about and there's like some Future Sound of London forums where like the real geeks are like, who are these sick ones, guys? There's something out here. Like, who are these guys that Yage is working with? It's kind of fun. It's kind of cool to like... Yeah. see them freak out over this sort of like obscure little edit that he's done for us but yeah we always That's give him cool. the master like the the stems and he always goes to town and does like five six versions of certain things and they're all a lot of them are f- really fucking out there like really That's cool. really out there to the point where i'm like we could probably put them all out as this thing but they'd probably be listened to once not saying they're crap but they'd be listened to they're so niche and 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 abstract yeah. and arty that they'd probably be listened to for curiosity more than than anything. But that's the only yeah, stuff yeah, I yeah. can think of that that's that cool. we're sat on that of, of, we could retrospectively um, pull out. But that eight oh eight agility mm. remix, um, I want the world to hear that because it's great. <laughs> yeah. But if it never comes out, maybe someone in ten years will be like, I heard Andy yeah. on a podcast reveal the existence of an 808 <laughs> agility remix does anyone have it we hope so, we I'd, hope so. I'd love that um and just to, like finally obviously you've mentioned there's talks that you can't talk about but have you guys got sort of tentative plans of like what you want to be doing once things have eased or are you still very kind of skeptical at the moment so if we decide to if we decide to uh like i said if we decide to take that offer that's been offered to us then it will be um all you know all systems go in some ways and it would be very cool um i'd like i would like to do that um in some ways but only if i feel like 
we're all marching in in unison. And like I said, I've got mm. this this mayoral thing coming up. I've got the podcast changing my career. So I need to be very realistic about it. As much as yeah. I love Sick Ones and I love what it's done for, for my life and the opportunities it's given me and... Uh, you know i feel like i'm in a really good place like i achieved all the things i i said i was gonna do but like in quiet private moments doubted whatever happened um mm. and so if, if i have if we have to walk away from this now because life's changed too much and we haven't got the the ability to to see this through in the way that we'd like to um i feel quite at peace with what we've done and and happy with it obviously you always want more you always want to you always yeah, want to yeah. take that next thing off um but yeah it could go two ways basically it could go two ways um and it just needs to be that everyone's on on the same page and we're all ready to go but the world is still half asleep <laughs> yeah. everything you know i'm i'm spinning lots of plates there are other, other members of the bands of the band doing other things trying new ventures and things like that and so maybe it might be a case of right now it's not right, uh, or maybe maybe we will. I don't want to be too like dickhead cryptic about it and uh, have my head up my own ass. But like, I really don't know which way it's going to go. We're either gonna that's fair. We're gonna go all in again. Should be sweet, or or we'll uh, we'll you know we'll come back to it possibly uh, a later date once life is um, normalized. That's cool. Well, Andy, you've taken up way too much of your no, time. No, man, I, how... I've uh, I've had nothing else on because I knew um, I know what it's like this podcast game. I tell people <laughs> an hour, and then I steal them for three hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. But how I like to end the show is I always ask my guests uh, what their favorite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, what is your favorite sick one song that you like to play live, and why? Oh, I wish I'd known this beforehand. <laughs> 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 um, I thought you were to say what's your favourite song and I would have been like Pearl Jam Black <laughs> MTV Unplugged that's the greatest single rock performance of all time in my opinion but you, that's not what you asked but I've given it to you no. anyway um, oh man see there's a part of me that likes the simple ones because they're not hard <laughs> and I can enjoy like I can enjoy feeling the adrenaline a little more yeah. rather than something like Bad Way, which is just a cardiovascular onslaught. Um, but they're all a bit like that. Agility is fun. Oh, mate, it's a great question. I don't know. Let me loose, actually. Let me loose. Yeah. Yes. That actually comes Perfect. from, not that you asked, but I'm going to tell you. Um, we were no listening difference. to Sad But True by Metallica, and I was like, Charlie, this is the... I know you hate Metallica, Charlie, but I was like, this... You know, well, maybe I can't say that he hates them. That's putting words in his mouth. He's not that into them. But I was like, this, Charlie, this is fucking cool. Listen to this. And the way that the comes back in and that's got that crunching, like driving mid-tempo thing. So we kind of, that. so Let Me Loose is kind of like taken from that sad but true thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so, uh, Let Me Loose, Let Me Loose, yeah, Let Me Loose. I love it. Perfect. Brilliant. Andy, thank you very much for your time, mate. Really, really appreciate it. I have had a blast. Thank you very much. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Andy for taking some time to have a little chat with me. As I said, quite a long one this week, but 
I like having these longer chats. They're more, it feels more natural, more sort of in depth. You get to know the, the guests a bit more. Um, and yeah, it's just like sometimes we just go on tangents. It's just the way it is. Um, but as always, if you want to keep up to date with what Six Ones are doing, then we'll put all the links to their various social media platforms in the episode description, uh, as well as Andy's own podcast, The Giant Pod, which I'd highly recommend going to check out. As, as mentioned in the chat, he has a wide plethora of different guests. Uh, the Dr. Susie Gage one in particular is a, is a favourite of mine. Um, so yeah, go check all, out all those wonderful things. As said at the top of the show, Charity Sample is still going, but if you want to support this show in any shape or form, uh, we do have a Patreon. The second episode will be going out in a week or so's time uh, of Give It A Spin. So go visit patreon.com forward slash justaninsightpodcast. Uh, you can see all the various tiers on there. Or just follow us on social media. We're just underscore and underscore insight on Instagram and Twitter and just an insight podcast on Facebook. Um, so, yeah. And as always, if you whatever sort of podcast platform you're listening to this on, if you want to give us a subscribe rating review it really does help i've mentioned this before but since the turn of the year like i've seen a lot more kind of traffic coming our way our way which i'm eternally grateful for and i just kind of want to keep that momentum going basically so yeah any love sharing whatever you want to do is really really appreciated um but i'm going to leave it there thank you again for stopping by the justin inside podcast and i will see you soon